Hello. Merry day after the day after the day after Christmas, everybody. I'm Nick with Chris. And on this last weekly manga recap of the year, on December 28th, 2017, we're going to talk about manga, which should, uh, honestly, you shouldn't really be surprised to learn that by this point. It blows me away. It blows me away so much I couldn't, uh, I, I couldn't get my camera together. It, it destroyed my camera, and now I just, uh, mm-hmm. I, I have it's a, obliterated. I have a purple message that says, uh, C colon Chris. And it destroyed yours as well. Which is yeah. why you're just Nick exclamation point. Mm-hmm. Talk goes though, you know? It's the holiday season, these sorts of things happen. Krampus visited, I assume. And that's why, is, that's why this year goes. I thought that he just punished children. I didn't know he was like a gremlin. Uh, I'm sure. Well, Nick, aren't we children at heart? We're reading shonen manga. It's kind of... I, I guess that's a point. Of, yeah, we, we set ourselves up for this loophole. So we kind of have to, to make our bed in it. I know. After after some of this week's chapters, I don't feel particularly mature. So uh, I guess you have a point. You don't feel childlike and whimsy after reading this week's We Never Learn? <sighs> we'll get to that. Before we do, though, over the last several weeks, it's kind of been delayed due to lots of stuff happening throughout the month of December, including, you know, holidays and stuff. Uh, we've been reading a manga recommendation uh, from you guys called Kegon Ashra. Um, I'm not 100% certain how it's actually supposed to be said, because it's, like, spelled the way that, you know, Ashra, you know, like the thing is yeah it's spelled like that but i keep seeing it anglicized like different ways i think there i've seen about four different ways of people spelling it out and i think the official one is a s h u a so i'm gonna try and avoid actually saying this manga's title as much as i can (laughs) um so it's a uh, martial arts combat action series uh seinen Pretty sure it's Sanin. It seems like a Sanin series. It's a little bit too... It seems like a Sanin series in as much as that there's blood and death in it. Yeah. A little bit of gore. Mm Mm-hmm. The best way that I can describe it is it's a fighting game turned into a manga. Yeah. Um, I think uh, it's, it's rather apropos that there is eventually a Street Fighter crossover with this series because it very much seems to follow like the Street Fighter lineage where like the early titles were pretty pretty down to earth, maybe a little silly when you're like, oh yeah, there's like this mutant Brazilian guy who shoots electricity in our tournament, but yeah, by and large, pretty normal. And then like later parts are just like, yeah, there's a lot of just weird characters in this at this point. Mm-hmm. We're, we're fighting a guy whose like torso is made up of a giant yin yang and shit. Like it's, it's, it's very goofy now. There's uh, a guy who oils up his entire body so that he can like shoot his opponents like a cannon. Yeah. Yeah. Or the guy who uh, gets his eye stabbed out only to reveal he's been blind the whole time. Yeah. It's a very strange um, series if you, know, if you guys can't gather. Yes. Um, but that said, those changes to the more ridiculous, uh, stuff, I was very happy when they happened, uh, mostly because they were happening with this tremendous, broad cast of characters, because the majority of the series takes place during this massive fighting tournament, which is, you know, 
ladder single elimination style. So as a result of that, the main hero, who is boring as fuck, doesn't get nearly as much focus. <laughs> uh, I, I guess we'll go and kind of go back to the beginning here. Uh, King Onashua is basically the premise in the series is that uh, all of the business disputes in the world uh, between massive corporations are decided in this underground fighting tournament. Basically, where... it's a story. <laughs> Fox <laughs> just happens. recently did one of these. Disney obviously won. It, mm-hmm. it yeah, that, uh, that, uh, that Nezu guy apparently is a really good fighter. Yeah. It's pretty good and gobbled yeah. up everything that Fox owned movie rights wise. Nom, 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 fantastic mm-hmm. for. Um, so we meet one of our two protagonists, I guess let's call him, uh, Yamashita Kazuo, who is this middle-aged guy in a dead-end job at uh, this business that he works at. And uh, the CEO one day just randomly plucks him out of nowhere and makes him the manager of their company's fighter, Takeda Oma. And uh, Oma's boring. I don't like him. <laughs> He's stupid. Um, it's But it's about Oma's journey through this uh, underground fighting ring. Uh, occasionally t- handling small business disputes before it turns out that the CEO has this massive plan to uh, basically get this tournament started up. The winner of the tournament becomes the head of the Astra um, turn the entire fighting ring, basically, because if you become the head of that, you essentially become the underground business leader of the world, or at least of Japan. So that's that that's it. Uh there's bloody fights, uh street fights, um where a lot of times the competitors do just flat out like try and kill each other because they're trying to win millions and millions of dollars at stake. And uh there's a whole thing where, you know, Oma's trying to get vengeance because his master was killed by someone and da 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 da, da you know. But I think that the main appeal of the series is that you get very, very different cartoonish fighters going up against each other, and each of them ends up getting their own little backstory that makes them really stand apart. And it really does feel like a fighting game in that respect, where because there's such a broad cast of characters and all of them need to get a little bit of like, hey, this is what this character is kind of about. These are their techniques. This is why their design stands out, and this is what they're fighting for, at least nominally. Um, we don't have a whole lot of time to dedicate to building up one particular main character, so, you know, that's not that's not the main appeal, though. So, I don't really care. I didn't really end up caring that Oma was a very uninteresting protagonist, because it didn't really matter in the end. Yeah, I, he starts off just being kind of a little bit basic, which I think actually kind of worked for the series to a certain extent. Um, we basically got oops, we got to the point where he's just kind of this super intense guy who, uh, you know, likes to fight and values people entirely based off of their fighting skills. And then later on, he just kind of 
he just becomes sort of a blood knight kind of dude, a dude who likes to fight and wants to fight. Mm-hmm. And there's not really much development around that, and the cast around him is also pretty basic. The only character I think really has any kind of, like, extreme personality is the salaryman business guy who is tasked with being his manager. Which, to be fair, the guy is sort of, it's sort of a story within the manga about why he is, but there really is no reason as to why he never does anything managerial for him. Eventually he does develop this, you know, he is extremely good at sort of seeing people and, and kind of gauging who is, who is really strong or really apt. But, uh, as far as like being an actual manager, he's still not the tops for it. You know, he kind of just sits, stands around and like lets every bad situation that would befall Ashua, uh, or what was it Omi? Oma. Oma. Every bad situation that would happen to him happen. Like, there's an early opponent that they run into called the Medicine Man. And his whole mm-hmm. thing is he cheats. He he plays this extremely high-pitched sound that only young people are affected by. And he's like a middle-aged guy, so he doesn't care. And they, they know ahead of time this is going to be their opponent. And, like, bad shit's going to happen. And then they encounter him in the middle of, like, an alleyway. And I don't, like, the whole story around him is, like, he's lost a couple fights, but even when he loses, his opponent is incapacitated afterwards, and, like, you know, they retire, I guess, or something like that. And you'd think, then, the situation would be, okay, well, whatever you do, if this guy, like, encounters you in a weird situation, be very suspect about that, and anything that happens. They counter him, the two young characters in the group have, like, ah, the ear-piercing sound. And his dude's just like, what was that? All right, on to the match. You're just like, dude, come on. You have to be the one person here who has to be like, something was up about that. Something was strange. I feel like I should mention this to somebody. He doesn't. He's not a great manager. No, the the most that he's actually done as manager is just kind of make sure that Oma, you know, gets fed. Um, And, uh, you know, because he's told, instructed specifically, you know, make sure that my fighter gets, you know, all the best stuff taken care of. And uh, then once they're on the this in the arena for this uh, tournament, or previously when they're on this cruise line heading to the tournament, well, you know, Oma just goes to the dining hall and eats whatever anyway, so he doesn't really need Yamashita to take care of him in any respect. Um, I think that he's really a good, you know, kind of audience surrogate character. And also he works because he's this old, unexceptional guy who has the most over-the-top reactions to everything that's going on. So everyone else in the involved in the tournament, weird shit happens and they just kind of take it in stride. And, you know, like if they're in the middle of a fight, they're just kind of like, ah, okay, that's what you're about. And then they'll keep on fighting. Um but Yamashita is like, what the fuck is going on? And, and everything. And it kind of keeps everything in perspective that he's there uh, to be the normal person in this world of abnormal people. Because there are a lot of weirdos in this series. Um, I mean, we we start off with the guy who thinks he's superhuman because he's got really naturally powerful gripping strength. That's 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 the baseline. Uh, then there's, you know, the weird middle-aged assassin guy. Then there's the pro wrestler turned underground fighter who, uh, I love. I think that, I think that he is 
amazingly awesome and hilarious. Um, and then, of course, you know, they go on this, this Yu Yu Hakusho cruise line where it's like, well, we need to eliminate 90% of the fighters that are on this boat, so you better get to fighting. Um, and then they arrive at a tournament, and there are all sorts of different uh, fighters. There's, uh, let's see, there is a, a guy who wears a, a Mickey Mouse outfit and um, it basically demands to be referred to as Mickey Mouse uh, when he's wearing it with, you know, the names changed for legal purposes. But there are actually... There are a lot of corporations that reflect, you know, real corporations. You know, there is a Nintendo stand-in. There is a Sony stand-in. There's um, just outright uh, Capcom, too, which I love. Yeah. They do the well, Street Fighter crossover. It's yeah. like, all right, how do we, like, rationalize Street Fighter being in this Kengan world? Like, Capcom was a company involved in the Kengan tournaments who decided, fuck it, let's just be about our martial arts tournament thing. <laughs> like, fair enough. Uh, they're the manager for the McDonald's, uh, parody just is, is Ronald McDonald basically <laughs> like an evil shitty Ronald McDonald. Um, there's a bizarre sense of humor that the series has, uh, honestly at times that I really don't think that I was expecting in the, in the, in the first place. I think that as time went forward, they just kind of embraced the goofiness that fighting games tend to have in order to be more colorful. And uh, once they started to go down that route, I, then I thought it started to get a lot more enjoyable. Uh-huh. It, it definitely is something where it, it honestly kind of needs the goofiness of it because at the start, it it works at the start. It also, at the very early on, kind of felt a little bit like Congo Boncho or something along those veins. Just a very much, like, hyper-masculine, super-buff dudes fighting each other kind of tournament series. Uh, but even Congo Boncho added, like, powers and things like that. This doesn't mm-hmm. have anything to those regards. There was still definitely, like, an element of that battle manga thing. Like, I have, you know, a grip so strong, it's like slicing the wind. And then from then forward, that character is drawn with, like, very tiny little hatchets for fingertips and things like that. They had that, but it just didn't have a whole lot of over-the-top personality. Uh, once they started to really go in that direction, though that becomes sort of the focus and it becomes a lot more of a kind of a caricature it's when it could start kind of almost ramping up the violence and gore too because early on there wasn't a whole lot of hyper violence but as the series goes on it really kind of just takes to that fact of like oh i'm being kind of silly with this life well fuck it uh this attack like spins your body around and convert like contorts your torso into like a complete 180 and shit like that you know let's 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 get kind of grotesque and brutal with this series and things like that Um, gosh. The, the, let's see, I guess, I really don't want to talk about Oma. <laughs> I kind of have to. He's got such a straightforward, like, you know, martial arts protagonist things. Like, you know, his master was killed by another competitor's master, so he, he kind of wants to get revenge, but mostly he just is, you know, battle-hungry and wants to fight and prove that he's the strongest by just fighting over and over again, and that's just kind of it. Um, so he has a main rival in the series. Uh, God, was it Setsuna, I think? Setsuna, yeah. Um, who is this very pretty boy, 
uh, who is, you know, a psychopath, you know, just straight up murders people, uh, rips their arms off when fighting them somehow. Um, and so Oma wants to fight and defeat Setsuna because Setsuna's master killed his master and Setsuna killed his own master. So therefore Oma wants to kill the guy who killed the guy who killed his master. Uh, Setsuna's feelings towards Oma are weirdly sexual for some reason. Um, it kind of, before you really realize that it's happening, it suddenly gets cranked up to like a 20 out of 10. Um, he, for example, while they're on the ship heading to the tournament location, he starts cuddling with a custom made Oma plushie that he had made. Um, while he's naked, of course. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, but I don't know. It's one of those things where it's like, okay, I understand that he's supposed to be weird. Uh, the, the, and he's, you know, a psychopath. So the, this whole, I want to kill you. I want to fuck you kind of thing is just, you know, he's, he's crazy, you know, but it's one of the kind of weaknesses of the series in terms of like, you know, it, it goes for quantity over quality. Um, and for the most part, I definitely enjoy that there are so many different characters that each basically get a good chapter's worth of backstory dedicated entirely to them, um, adding, you know, color and context to this gigantic tournament that they're involved in. But you don't really know what the hell makes Atsuna tick, why Oma works the way that he does. Oma's main thing about his fighting style is that he has incredibly... Uh, you know, to the point of human limits, uh, senses and reactions. He's a little bit, uh, uh like Agon from Aisho 21. Um, and so he used this ability in combination with a kind of judo style so that he can, like, turn his opponent's momentum back on them and take advantage of their movements and stuff. But then he has a Super Saiyan form that Literally, it's something he pulls out in his third fight about 10, 15 chapters in, and it still hasn't been explained how the fuck it works. <laughs> he just goes into this berserker rampage, you know, his he, like veins bulging, skin turns all red, he gets super powerful, um, and he hurts people really badly while he's in it. And they never explain how the fuck it works. Um they say that he, there are some times when he manages to hold back on you know, the other murderous edge that it gives him so that he's not being super reckless. He continues to fight with the same style. And so there's a difference between that and is still just straight up like he runs around and kills you. But how does it work? Um, never explained. And also it makes no sense that this whole thing that is built around one style then has this complete flip side with no explanation. So... Yeah, it kind of pops in, and it doesn't seem like there's much to really establish when it goes off. It doesn't seem to be like, oh, he's in his worst possible state sort of situation. It just kind of pops in once in a moment of, like, desperation, and then doesn't get a whole lot of context for why or what it is. It's just, like, kind of like an I win button. It's what gives him his name, I believe, because he's, he's known as, like, the, the Azura Everyone gets, like, cool, fancy titles and things like that. Which, yeah. Which, again, also kind of feels like a fighting game. Uh, but 
his whole gimmick just feels kind of blank. It feels very, very much like Ichigo, where you're just like, what's his power? Super speed. Like, yeah, but a lot of people have that. Like, what's so special about it? It's like, I don't know, but he wins a lot. I mean, you know, by comparison, there is a fighter in the tournament who his clan uh, is structured around growing and strengthening their hair so that they can use their hair to fight, you know, casting out like whips or a spider web and stuff. Uh, there is a guy who um, <clears throat> has hardened his head by repeatedly having it bashed with a hammer so that if someone attacks his head, it's like hitting a helmet and they hurt themselves. So there's all these ridiculously outland. The guy that the helmet guy fights doesn't have a martial arts fighting style. He's just a naturally strong old fisherman dude who's trained by punching whales underwater. You know, it, it, <laughs> it, it all these ridiculous characters. And yeah, Oma is very much, you know, the boring main character, the all rounder that is there just so that there's someone who's not too crazy so that there's someone to all the, all the other characters look crazy against. He's the Ryu in the Street Fighter series. He's a martial arts fighter who has one or two cool abilities Next, sitting next to think guys who are probably not human, actually. <laughs> you know. Um, also, another problem I have with Oma. Okay, I've been reading manga... F- since I was 12, 13, more than half my life at this point. Um, in that time, I've read, you know, stuff like To Love Ru, Nagima. Uh, I freaking read, you know, uh, what was it? Akinosora, I think. Akisora, that was it. Um, that was the porn series. Right, right. Okay. Oma is still the least compelling harem protagonist I have ever seen. I do not understand. Were they trying to go for a harem series thing with him? He ends up with like four different people fawning over him by the, by the end of things. Cause they're, they out of freaking nowhere, they start making Akiyama jealous when other girls hang around him. Uh, Setsuna is weirdly sexually obsessed with him. Uh, a random CEO makes a bet on Oma's fight uh, because she's deeply in debt and needs to take a huge gamble in order to pay it off. And Oma ends up winning, so she ends up being able to pay off her debts. And then she goes and personally thanks him and starts to fawn over him, too, because she realizes how pretty he is. And uh, then there's Carla from the assassination family who... Uh, knows that nothing about Oma except that he is strong, so she wants to uh, jump him and have babies with him so that their kids will be super strong fighters. As you do. Yeah. To be fair. So, I <laughs> I don't know why the you, these characters would be attracted to him for any other reason than he looks kind of pretty, I guess. Because he's got such a shitty, non-charismatic personality he doesn't bother to to be likable or interesting. He just kind of like, I want to go fight people. And then if he's not fighting someone, he's just like, I'm going to go ready for a fight. I'm going to go sleep. That's it. He does what he needs to, right? Yeah. Um, 
by comparison, I mean, I, I end up finding a lot of the minor characters in the series actually really interesting and compelling. Um, there is a guy named, uh, was it uh, Haru or something? The big guy that fights for Nintendo. Um, he, there's this whole thing where it's like, you know, he was this guy from this, you know, this kind of primitive village in the Himalayas. He was the strongest that any of them had seen in generations. He could kill lions with his bare hands and he protected them. And then a rich guy came along and offered him money in order to become his fighter in the, in the, in the uh, underground fighting tournaments. And, uh, they told him like you shouldn't stay with us you know you're 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 a big fish in a small pond you should go out and see the world and show them how strong that you are unfortunately as he was basically being raised by this by the ceo well i mean he was already an adult you know uh he fell to all of the vices of modern society and now he's just this fat guy in overalls who's obsessed with playing video games and only fights in the tournament so he can go back to fighting playing his video games. He doesn't, he's, he's this horribly impure person. And that storyline was more compelling than Oma, anything Oma ever did. There are these three guys involved in the tournament, uh, Inaba, Uri, and Akira, who have this backstory that's actually really sweet and compelling because, uh, they're the sons of these two families one of whom had the others, the other assassinated. So there's two of these guys in this group. Uh, one, so one guy is an assassin for another guy. And then those two, one of them killed the other. And the three of them are still like, we shouldn't have to answer for the crimes of the previous generation. We don't have to follow what they, what the example that they set, you know, you don't have to just work for me as an assassin. You can still be my friend. And, you know, just because your father killed my father doesn't mean we can't still be friends. And it's really, and it's actually a really interesting relationship that they have. And I want a side manga about just those three because that's an interesting story. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's, it, it's tough because you really do have to almost like think of this as like a fighting game, in which case yes. it's like, there's the main character who has the most basic, straightforward storyline that you follow because they almost usually are the ones who are going to win the tournaments and have to be like, you know, for the canon of the fighting game, that's the storyline you have to follow. But at least like in those fighting games, you could at least finish the plot, like you finish the story mode as one of those other characters that get to see like, yeah. their character and you get to see that glimpse, mm-hmm. you know, but. You don't really have that here. You get what you're going to get as a glimpse of them whenever their fight comes up. You know, for a lot of those characters, they're one and done. They're beaten, and then, you you know, you're not going to see them again. So it's kind of like, well, shit, I'd rather follow them than fucking Liu Kang over here or fucking this nonsense. Best thing that ever happened to Mortal Kombat is when they killed Liu Kang for a couple games. Really? They managed to get away with that? <laughs> yeah, well, he comes back in the next game as zombie Liu Kang. Okay. <laughs> but I think he still doesn't... Is he called Zombie Liu Kang, or is he called something different? He's called, I think, Zombie Liu Kang. They might just call him Liu Kang, but he's a zombie, and he has, like, shackle sights hanging from his wrists and shit. But he's definitely gone for at least one game. I think it was Deadly Alliance, because that was how the plot line started, is, like... 
Liu Shang... Kang has been killed. <laughs> yeah, well, Sang Tsung and, and Quan Chi teamed up so they could just kill Liu Kang. And then they're like, all right. Why did we do this? Why did we do this earlier? <laughs> well, the best part is you're like, you two aren't going to stay together. You two are going to immediately turn on each other the moment you can. And it does happen, but they, they, they stand together. In the together prologue. <laughs> just long enough. I feel like there's a moment in the prologue that hints at it, but they stand together long enough to kill Liu Kang. I forget who, like, the, the hero character becomes after that. I'm trying to say it's Sub-Zero Raiden, but I don't remember. Sub-Zero was a pretty damn popular character. It wouldn't surprise me, so. I think that was also the game where he had, like, a random female ninja apprentice, Frost, who was super evil. Like, just insanely evil. And even her storyline was like, you died from being evil. <laughs> So Zero's like, yes, we must fo- we must follow my- the path that I have set and not just fall into the evil ways set by my brother and the rest of my clan. Yes, master! <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, like, her ending, and that's the best thing when you have a video game fighting character's ending, where they die in their own ending, that you're just like, oh, come on, obviously you were doomed. I think hers is like, she wanted the power of the Eternal Frost Medallion, so she froze Sub-Zero and was like, about to grab it. He's like, no, it's power is too much for you. And she's like, fuck you, old man, and grabs it and gets frozen for all time. And you're just like, I mean, she was kind of asking for it at that point, right? <laughs> Can't blame that on the old man Sub-Zero. It reminds me of, uh, um... I played, I borrowed Soul Edge. Um, Ooh, that's old uh, school. Yeah, yeah. You know, the like the Dreamcast or whatever it was, prequel to the Soul Calibur series. And uh, I played the story mode through with Siegfried the Knight, who becomes Nightmare at the end. And I was shocked and terrified when, you know, the evil sword clamps onto his hand. And then he's like, he's like, I'm the evil knight now. Walk you away. <laughs> You know why it was called Soul Edge and changed to Soul Calibur? No, I do not know. Because some dickhead dude in the games industry thought he owned the trademark to the word Edge for all things <laughs> video game related and just thre- started threatening to sue everybody. So they were like, so they fuck were like, it. All right, fuck this guy. <laughs> and he kept doing it until Mirror's Edge came out and he sued EA and they were like, go fuck yourself. <laughs> And they took, he had to admit that he lost the rights to everything, like the Edge name and all that shit. It's fucking glorious of a story. Oh, Soul Calibur is a more memorable name than Soul Edge, anyway. It is, 100%. But I do love that they changed the name because some people <laughs> are like, I, I own the word Edge! edge. I, I found that out from Guru Larry's Fact Hunk, by the way, just so people that don't is think an, that is, knowledge. That is a weird bit. We have drifted so far away from talking about this manga, but I don't really have much else to say about it, honestly. No, I, I mean, I, I will say that this is a very fun series. I think it is a weird departure early on to when it does start getting very serious. Like, if you were to just flip from one side, you'd be like, when the fuck did this stuff happen? But I made that, specific notes uh, when I was taking notes to the series getting ready. I just kind of, you know, occasionally jot down stuff going through it. If you, like, were to jump from Chapter 1 to like chapter 25 you would be shocked at how much more cartoonish not just like in tone and thematically it got but also even in style i think it gets a little bit brighter and more expressive and you know goofier kind of imagery yeah and i i think by and large the series is one you could enjoy if you enjoy this kind of like hyper over the top badass fighting sort of series. Again, if you like the series like Congo Boncho or um I'm trying to think of like another like 
generic sort of like fighting game thing. But I guess if you just like fighting games, you should be able to dig it. It's not mm-hmm. on like the same lane. Like when I first started reading the series, it's like, ooh, is this going to be like another Holy Land? It's not like that. This is very... <laughs> My expectations were not very high. <laughs> it is very over the top and goofy, but that, that could still work. The, the one small thing I just want to comment on that I found very amusing is how Oma has very little personality at the start. He only recognizes people based on whether or not they've earned his respect, except he's a dickhead to women because he only ever refers to the secretary as woman. And after one time where she says like a statement, he's like, yeah, are you getting wet thinking about me? I'm like, he has never displayed this personality trait towards anyone else, but he's a supreme dickhead to her right now. I don't know why. I just found it funny that in that one moment, he, he let like a new personality slip through. The only, I think, I feel like the only, uh, action of his that I thought was interesting or, you know, uh, maybe kind of like him a little bit was when Carla, you know, jumps on him. Cause she literally the very first time that she ever sees him, she leaps into his arms and is like, you, we need to make babies. And, you know, she's like taking her top off and, and stuff. They're in the middle of like a crowded area. And she's like, it's like, we should hump and make babies right now. That's my duty as the daughter of this assassination clan. And so Oma's reaction is basically just to put her down and immediately run away. Because he's just so freaked out by what the fuck she's just done. I don't it's know like, what's I, happening. Well, it's like, that's the most relatable thing that he's ever done. It's like, this weird assassin girl with bizarre pure black eyes is trying to hump my brains out. And I suspect may try to kill me after she has harvested my sperm for her mega babies. I think I will leave now, especially because she's got, you know, a, a super overprotective assassin grandfather who would probably kill me for trying to do anything to her. So, yeah. That makes sense. It makes sense. So, yeah, I think that's uh, Ken Ganashua. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, if you are into over-the-top battle series, you should definitely try and check it out. Um it's not the most compelling, you know, work of literature ever, but it can be actually quite a lot of fun. And, uh, Rahito turns from being a very generic starting bad guy to a surprisingly hilariously stupid, uh, supporting character. So he keeps on doing stuff where, you know, he'll just like approach beautiful women and be like, Hey, let's go get a room together. And, like, you're just trying to have sex with me. No, I won't do anything. Well, come on. <laughs> Okay, let's get on to the uh, recap portion with Kamaga Recap. We're going to start off, as we always do, with My Hero Academia. Chapter number 164, Masegaki. So it's uh, continuing the uh, Hero License Provisional Exam that uh, Todoroki and uh, Bakugo and uh, Wind Guy. <laughs> ah, Toshinori. <laughs> no, that's All Might's name. I tried. I, I wanted to feel like I knew something, so I just shouted out a name. <laughs> Who is speaking with Todoroki, trying to find, like, common ground with him. Um, and they have a weird little exchange, because he's like, Todoroki, what's your favorite food? And Todoroki says, I like cold soba noodles. And he's like, oh, no, you got to have them hot. Hot soba, Yeah but I'm really actually on Team Udon. Do people still do that? Like, refer to their side in a debate as Team Blank? 
I don't know. Because I know that was a I big just, thing for a while when Twilight was big. Uh, well, all I know is I'm still on Team Cap from Civil War, so yes, I'm also. I guess it is. Then. I'm also. I'm also on Team N64. Uh, hold on, let me open up my wallet. See what other cards I have. I'm on Team Elaine from Seinfeld. I'm on Team Target. I'm on Team Gift Card. That seems weird. I can't still be on Team Mojo Raleigh. He's he's gone heel. I don't like him anymore. <laughs> um, you mark. I'm on. <laughs> That's what made me a mark. <laughs> well, yeah, not liking someone because he's turned heel. <laughs> So yeah, there's, there's a lot of people still do here uh, the team stuff. Okay, I'm on Fair team enough. Teamsters. That's enough. I believe you. Okay. Um, I do like that he's just trying to kind of force them to become super good friends now that they're not uh, that now they don't hate each other and Totoro. He's just gonna like you can't just like force this to happen. Okay. Uh. Mara, who was the guy who uh, headed up the tests the previous time, is there again. Um, and uh, he uh, he looks even worse for wear than uh, he did previously. Uh, I guess that uh, he's been dealing with some stuff with all the crap that's been going on lately. Um, so Endeavor and All Might are up in the stands. Um, there's a guy who looks... Actually, surprisingly, like Ida, actually, among all the other people taking the the test, you know, his armor, the black haired guy in the middle of the picture at the top of the one where Cammy comes in. Uh, oh, after I see who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy with the, the parted hair. Yeah, the parted hair, and he's also got the armor, so it's like, eh, it looks a little bit like Ida. Huh. Um, so then they have, uh, they introduce uh, Cammy specifically, and uh, they she, they explain like, yeah, so she actually qualified for the course. She, so she was really good, but she apparently lost her memories a few days before the test, and so her participation was delayed due to the ongoing investigation. And it's quickly addressed why uh, she doesn't remember, you know, being kidnapped and that happening and stuff. Apparently, there was something where her memory was actually, like, erased or she was put to sleep uh, somehow. Maybe she was drugged or something along those lines. And it just took her a while to realize, oh, I don't remember taking that test because she's an airhead. And that's the only reason. <laughs> yeah, they said that she's just an immense idiot. And that's why, like, the League of Villains plan worked as a success. Like, they must have, like, scouted her out. And they're like, this chick's a fucking idiot. We could just put her to sleep and she'll wake up a couple days later and she'll just not have any idea what happened long enough that the trail's gone cold. Like, I, I thought maybe it was something where, like, they had kidnapped her and had kept her somewhere. It doesn't even sound like they went to that extent. They just, like, fucking, they gave, her a, her, her, they gave her a NyQuil and she woke up the next day and she's like, what happened? And everyone was like, huh, that was only supposed to work for eight hours. <laughs> everyone was like, you did really well. And I told me, she's like, I did. I must have done great. And then she just, she had nothing to think or say until, like, a week later. So, you know. Great character. 
the people from uh, Shiketsu basically had to piece together what happened with her because she couldn't give a witness account of it. So they're like, well, she went missing, and there are discrepancies between accounts, and there's stuff that the that UA has been investigating. But she was probably kidnapped by the League of Villains, and she still doesn't seem to be uh, to be aware of this, the way that she talks about it. Yeah, there's, 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 that, that's what makes me think there was no kidnapping involved, because it'd be really weird if she's like, I don't remember being tied up in a chair for six days, but I guess it happened. It sounds like they legitimately just put her to sleep, and she was so dumb that, like, everyone... She was essentially me a couple weeks ago when I just slept through Monday. She, like, slept through a couple days, and everyone was like, hey, where, you know, where are you doing all those things? She's like, I must have been. I have no memories of it, but what else would I have been doing? Oh, man. Everyone's like, remember when you promised to give me $400? She's like, I don't remember it, but must have been real. So then Gang Gang Orca shows up. Because fuck yes, and he's awesome! He's, uh, he's somehow acting scarier than he did when he was actually trying to punch all the students, honestly. I just want to say, I forgot that his tie was his tongue. Like, it looked like a tongue, and I saw it again, and immediately, I was like, maybe I'm overestimating Gang Orca. Maybe he's not as cool as I remembered him. And then I saw that panel, and I was like, nah, I've, I've underestimated him, if anything. Gang Orca is the greatest gift that we have been given. So, he immediately starts going drill sergeant on all of them. And uh, he says that he has learned something from helping out with this course, which is that you wastes of oxygen aren't cut out to be plankton, let alone heroes. You're worse than fish poop. Well. <laughs> it's the following series that, that makes me <laughs> adore this character in this chapter so much. Because uh, he goes to Bakugo and he's like, yeah, especially you. Are you even trying to be a hero? And Bakugo's like, first of all, I eat poop. <laughs> he slaps him across the room. He's like, you like discipline. <laughs> and you don't see Bakugo. You just see his feet flying <laughs> off in the other direction. <laughs> and then Todoroki's like, and how's a pile of excrement ever going to save anyone? And Todoroki's like, well, fertilizer indirectly does oh! help people. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking backhanded across the room as well. You want a prize just because you can fly around and fight? Sorry, yes, it... Boom! <laughs> Bitch, get out of my house! <laughs> uh, so he uh, singles out those three and says that although they have, uh, they're talented as combatants, they need special training because, you know, Bakugo disrespects the people he was trying to save. Uh, the other two got into, you know, basically a dick measuring contest instead of, uh, instead of focusing on their mission. Uh, what you lack is, in so many words, heart. And when you reach out to lend a hand, is anyone going to be willing to grab it? No. It's fine to bury your fangs now and then, but as long as you live and breathe, it's all about saving people. Saving, being saved, at the core of it, is connecting with people's hearts. you got to overcome this hurdle. Through a death match with them. At first, I was really confused. It's like, this seems like a strange way to get across, like, the idea of saving people by having them in a death match with them. But then it made sense immediately when you see who the death match is with. So there are a bunch of elementary school kids that they have to take care of. <laughs> Horrible children. Horrible children who have superpowers. Remember that. They have superpowers, mm-hmm. many of these yeah, kids. Yeah, because they've got quirks. Um, I love the reaction of the three boys. Uh, when they're when they're running in because they're just all standing in line like, 
this is really happening. <laughs> as, as a couple of guys immediately run up to Baku and they're like, Mr. Bomb is lame. And one of them punches him in the chest. <laughs> um, and yeah, King, we're just being like, one that looks guys. like the fucking Muppets from Fraggle Rock too. <laughs> like he just has that big beak face. <laughs> So, Gangork is immediately like, they're from Masagaki Public Elementary School, and you're going to have to take care of them now. <laughs> and the teacher's there looking so stressed out. It's like the kindergartners from Recess, where they're just like a tribe of barbarians. And then I, I like, particularly, I like the, the student who I assume was essentially Nick when he was that age, who's just like, <laughs> I know your type, like leaning against the wall. Because Bob goes screaming at this, like, I don't want to have to take care of children. He's like, someone who thinks they're all cool and can shout loudly enough for everyone else to hear them when I'm not impressed. I like the detail that he seems to basically be, he his hair makes him look like a baby best genus, too. <laughs> he's got, like, a cardigan and, like, yeah. short shorts and shit. Short shorts. Like, he's from a completely different school. And then there are just some kids who are just being, you know, jerks to Todoroki. And he's like, what's this? Your wiener's like, well, no, this is a, it's a wiener! <laughs> How does that make any sense? It's daily from something. He's like, oh, no, see, it's a first aid supply kit for when I can't make a rescue. It's like, boring! This, I have to give props to Horikoshi because he has captured so perfectly how children react to things. We're like, it's a bunch of wieners. Yeah, it's a wiener. No, it's not. Let me explain to you why. Boring. You're a wiener. Look at this guy. Let's call him five wieners. Yeah, wiener, wiener, wiener. They just jump on him and dogpile him. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, then we get to see... <laughs> So, because Endeavor and All Might are in the stands. Uh, so, Wind Guy is, like, not even paying attention to the kids, and he's so big that they can't really do anything to him, so they're just going, like, eh, pay attention to us! He's like... It's like He's like he's like my new favorite hero now because he's like just completely, like, not taking these kids' bullshit because he's just ignoring them. <laughs> um, but then they do manage to get on him, and uh, he just kind of retreats underneath his cape while they dog pile <laughs> Then we get the weirdest part of this chapter. So, Kimmy's, Kimmy's just like, eh, alright. I, I, I like kids pretty well. And she just kind of grabs one and just kind of like, blah, you know, you know, kind of, Bushes their I guess she's trying rest. to be motherly, but she does it in a very, you know, airheaded manner where she just put right, nose right in the cleavage. So, this immediately causes the girls in the class to be like, she's trying to seduce him. And then they start, then they start bothering her, like pinching her ass and stuff. So, oh wow, yeah, I didn't even notice it. I thought it was just meant to be like they kicked her, but yeah, you can actively see they're pitching her butt. That's a weird trait to add. All right, <laughs> sure. One of the kids manages to snatch away one of Bakugo's uh, grenade gauntlets, which seems very dangerous. Hey, they're meant to be here to show that they can save people. How best to show that if not to provide children with explosives? Hmm. Um, so Gang Arca establishes that they have to transform the class. You four have to work together to win the hearts and minds of the class. The other gets to get to just have a regular seminar. 
So these are the four special cases that have to do this shit. And I love how Bakugou's like, what? <laughs> like, he's only just realized what they've got to do. <laughs> I also like how Cammy just got thrown into this because they're like, we don't know what to do with you. You're such a fucking confusing mystery that we're just throwing. You didn't fuck up the exam or anything else like that, but we don't know what's going on with their heads, so we just shoved you in with these guys. I also love the gang, that because the teacher is like, oh, I'm so sorry, all oh, my children, they're such problem kids, and oh, I can't keep up with them, and gang is just like, don't worry, miss. He's like, oh, Mr. Whale. <laughs> He's like, just the fact she calls him Mr. Whale. (laughs) He's like, please, the name's Gang. Mr. Whale was my father. (laughs) Super Whale was his name. (laughs) Just a giant sperm whale with a cape. (laughs) (laughs) We get up to the stands, and present Mike is just like, my MC spirit is at his limit. He just, he's like, I have to announce this. I have to color commentate. How do you do that when you're t- with kids taking care of children? I don't know, but I want to see. I'm immediately super excited about seeing this just because President Mike is going to be doing his over-the-top announcing again, and that was actually one of my favorite parts of season two of My Hero Academia. Um... But in a sudden little quiet moment, Endeavor pulls All Might aside and uh, brings up, hey, uh, the crime rate is up pretty high or it's 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 rising. It's steadily rising. And uh, I'm the one who has resolved Morris's than anyone else. But I but, you know, I hear it. The thing you've built that cannot be seen is crumbling down. So, number one hero, what's it mean to be the symbol of peace? And this is an unexpected uh, thing that I, that uh, wasn't really uh, predict- predicting would happen. Um, you know, for Endeavor to actually go to All Might for advice in a, a slightly roundabout way, um, because he realizes there's a problem and he is still a hero at heart, despite what a dickhead he is, and he realizes that he's got a job to do and that he can't do it the way that he is. It's uh, one of those things that my Hero Academia just uh, just kind of does demonstrates that you know the most unexpected people do have you know actual human emotions and vulnerabilities. So yeah, it's time for a face turn for Endeavor. You know, a guy who systematically sort of populated gene pool specifically and then abandoned all of the children who didn't meet his uh, his his high standards. Hmm. Yeah. Still a dick, but yeah. He's not absolutely evil, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were hits of this during, you know, the uh, the big Nomu fight, where, you know, uh, you know the one where the, uh, Deku and company ended up fighting with Stain. There were the Nomus flying around, and then Dever had to show up and save a bunch of people from them. So, yeah. This is, this is your number one hero right now, so, yeah. Deal with it. Okay. Good chapter. Uh, let's move on to Astra, Lost in Space, chapter 48. So, uh, we see King Vix with his Grand Vizier, um, the guy who tried to have, uh, who had Sabre killed and, uh, and all that stuff. And, uh, King Vix calls him in to talk about important stuff. His name is Mark. 
I know Mark is, you know, an old name, you know, goes back to, you know, like biblical era and stuff. But I swear to God, I freaking lost it because Mark has this whole thing. He's like, ah, oh, yes, there are invaluable secret treasures passed down in the line of Vixian kings. I have taken time to be thorough. I I had Sarah eliminated. I saw to it that her clone was found so that she, she could be killed as well. My only concern was how the genome control act would play out, and it seems Lady Luck has smiled on me. With his daughter dead and his intended rejuvenation failed, the king is with a shell of himself. He no longer cares for the throne. Today begins the dawn of the reign of King Mark. King Mark. <laughs> King Mark, what are you going to do? You know, he's got... It sounds so goofy. <laughs> King Mark. <laughs> Does anyone out there named Mark? I'm not mocking. I'm just saying, like, that, if I that, became a royal, Marks. if I became a royal, I would have to call myself King Nicholas the whatever. I couldn't just go around calling myself King Nick. It wouldn't sound right. It sounds so casual. See, if I became king, I wouldn't go by King Chris. I'd go by King Sea Dog, and that way everybody has to be like, "Yo, King Sea Dog," and I'm like, "What up, people?" That's the way you do it, Nick. You just got to reinvent yourself, like Rocky Maivia into the Rock. You have to establish yourself with your new brand. Just make sure that you have all the catchphrases that you turn heel. And get popular as a heel, and then you turn face. Yeah, like my great catchphrases of Mamma Mia and Eat Shit, Shithead. <laughs> Those are my two big ones. <laughs> Very different printability on t-shirts uh, levels well, there. <laughs> one wins over the young crowd, and one wins over the adult crowd. And that's, that's how, how you that do works. it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. But then the police show up. And, uh, you know... So they immediately are like, ah, we would like to request your cooperation in an investigation, your majesty. And, you know, because you've been charged with the illicit production of clones and soliciting murder. Murder? Are you saying I killed someone? And the detective is like, just strikes this random, super cool, like, I'm posing for the cover pose out of nowhere. And he's like, ah, right. It was only attempted murder. He kind of just has a very rapid... Uh, you know, uh, turnaround thing from Phoenix Wright, uh, just explains everything. Uh, it just establishes, yeah, so these, the, these kids came out from this ship, the spaceship Astra, previously known as the Ark 12, and, uh, they told us all this stuff. Their message included a sample of their DNA. Uh, your power at Vixia may be absolute, but it's nothing in the face of the world government. So come on, let's go. You're under arrest. There's a lot of that. This chapter is basically like all the loose ends tied up the chapter. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and it's it just not happens. As, it's not quickly. like a lot of time spent on it. The, the, king Mark and uh, the the actual king get far away the most like actual coverage. Everyone else is like wrapped up in a montage. Yeah. All the other parents are just kind of on this, you know, full page spread display between them being escorted away. Um. Mark tries to kind of like sneak up and say, well, I've got some other things to do. It's like, oh, hey, you tried to murder, you, you murdered Princess Sarah or conspired to murder her, didn't you? Oh, oh, no. That was another King Mark, Lord of, Lord of all Vix. <laughs> well, crab apples, I've been caught. 
It seems as though there was like an entire other series running about this detective, Detective Grace and his uh, partner, because he has this dramatic speech that kind of wraps up everything, almost like it would happen at the end of a, of a serial TV show or something. And it's like, this is the first time I've seen you. Who are you? Nick, he's very suave and impressive. Like, look at him. He's got these, these glasses. He's so pretty. He like looks up into the sky. He's like, the reset's over. Now it's time for Astra to enter a new era. Yeah. And like it, the, the background behind him turns into space. <laughs> That's how they sell a series, Dick. The end of this chapter is going to be like, what was your favorite moment? Everyone's going to be like, I really like when Detective Gray showed up and started uh, solving all the problems. I thought that was great. I liked it when he took off his glasses and looked into the sky and the space appeared behind him and he wrapped everything up in like a nice soliloquy that's my favorite part <sighs> so that's it uh, all, all the uh, evil parents have been arrested um, they get a met they get a uh, message on the Astra that uh, they have done this and that and we await your landing and everyone has this big celebration their journey has now come to an end um, Kanata has a hook now <laughs> <laughs> Does he? Yeah. He has a hook in, uh, in, He has a hook that uh, Luca was putting on his arm. Oh, uh, okay. In one panel, you don't see it, so I thought it wasn't. It disappears immediately between panels, I guess, so that he doesn't stab anybody while they're hugging. <laughs> <laughs> so they have this big group hug, and uh, they're like, hey, yeah, we've been through a lot together. You know, does anyone have anything that, like, sticks out? I mean, you know, kind of, you know, you know it's like, hey, remember all this stuff that happened? kind of series. Um, you know, for Zack, it was when they were plumbing through the atmosphere on Shimor and he had to save them. When they crash land on a Chris, that's, that's Kitaris. Um, and they thought that they were going to be stranded there forever. Uh, you know, you know, it's when she was singing to everybody, Paulina was like, well, when I found out we weren't going to earth, <laughs> when I found out I've been transported far into the future and everyone I know and love is dead and I have to get used to this new reality. They're like, yeah, yeah, it's super fun. Anyways, mine was when I showed everybody that I was forced to strip at gunpoint. I love that. Look at me. It was when a certain someone put a gun to my head and maybe strip in front of me. I was like, shut up! <laughs> <laughs> and then Olga's like, well, it was that time that the captain hauled me out of the tsunami and carried me up to the ship in his arms. And he's like, yeah, I kind of did that for me, too. And uh, uh, Funi is like, oh, Kanata carried me, too, when we float down that parachute thing. And Charles is like, and I'll always remember when he saved me with his arm. And Kanata's like, yeah, I remember all those, too. I'm pretty great, aren't I? <laughs> he's like, you know, my arm really hurts, too, by the way, Charles. He's like. I thought you said you'd stop doing that. I feel really guilty about it. He's like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> hey, high five. <laughs> high five my hook hand. Do it. <laughs> yeah. You have to high five my hook hand every time I ask. That's how this works. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, Kanata's like, everyone gives this big hug to Kanata. And he's like, hey, hey, come on. You know, we all made it through this together. And we made it through here because of every single one of us who could contribute. We had a doctor, we had a technician, someone who could use weapons. And if any of us had been missing, the rest of us would not have made it. So everyone, well done. And then Aries brings up, well, hey, well, what's your biggest memory from this whole journey? And Gadada says, this moment. 
This moment that we finally land back home on Astra. And we meet Detective Gray. <laughs> Grace! Right, him. I remember. <laughs> Sorry, I got so excited thinking about meeting him that I forgot to finish his name. <laughs> um, then they say that, uh, hey, you know, humanity launched this whole era of peace, but it was built on lies. So we need to uncover the lies. We should not try and bury the wormhole technology. Uh, cause I know that if we all work together and we have the right mindset, that even with something dangerous like that, the world will grow and evolve and we should just continue forward. And, um, that's basically it. Um, there's, you know, a little bit more of the, of the, you know, narration is like, we can do it. We can work together. We can help each other and encourage each other. And when we reach out into the darkness, light will shine forth to show the way. And then Aries sees her mom, who was the only one not arrested because she was the only good one. And, uh, that's it. Everyone, everyone's back home. That's it. That's the end of the chapter. We get, uh, our big finale, uh, in a few more days. So, uh, yeah, first week manga recap of next year or, Maybe, well, probably second, actually, because I think that the first one of the next year is going to be our 2017 retrospective because we aren't going to have regular series to talk about. Um, but yeah, we're going to uh, cover the very end of Astra uh, when we do a, know our next regular Weekly Recap. Yeah, and we'll probably have to figure out something new to put in that spot, too. Mm-hmm. But, uh, hey, uh, I like this chapter, if only because it means next chapter won't be this. It doesn't have yeah. to spend any time wrapping up loose ends or covering what the series has already gone over. Looks like we're actually going to get something at least progressive. Um, or not progressive, but um, original, I guess I should say, for the last chapter. Mm-hmm. Not to say this is derivative or anything like that, but you know, we're not going to hopefully get like a montage recap or like here's all the fun we had along the way. We're going to spend time showing how the actual conclusion of the series plays out. Yeah, it's probably going to be some sort of a, like where are they now type of thing. Ulgar um, became a rock star astronaut. <laughs> So he's Matt from Digimon? <laughs> yes. They're all going to have Digimon-like endings. Uh, it's going Zach, to be... Zach became a defense attorney, as he's always been suggested he would. Kitare be- opens up a noodle stand. Who's Kitari? Oh, Kitari, uh, right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> d- didn't you know? My dream was always to, have, to open up a line of noodle carts, guys. <laughs> I'm just going to bring this up in the very last episode. <laughs> it's always been his dream, though, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, there's going to be like some random pairing uh, that has never been hinted towards before, like I don't know, like Charson Yunwa or something like that are going to end up together for some reason. That's about as random as a pairing as I could think of for the series. So yeah, I think that should be the ones. Although we should actually actively get something for Car- uh, for Zach and Kitare since they established earlier on that they did. Want well, yeah, I mean so they did establish there. There was like one. This is definitely a couple couple in Digimon that happened um, in, in the conclusion. So yeah. All right. Um, yeah. Okay. So that's that's it for Astra pre finale. Let's go on then to Boruto number nineteen puppets. Okay, so <laughs> the kids have to go and answer that whole we don't know what the hell happened to Konohamaru thing. 
Um, that's what the thing that was happening at the end of the last chapter after they were done looking at all the ninja tools. Uh, for some reason, Katasuke is uh, going along with them, and he looks like a Dragon Ball villain um, with th- that weird-ass freaking suit that he's wearing. Um, and he's like, yes, this is a, su- a powered suit originally developed for caregiving that I have refitted for battle. Okay. Sure. Good luck with that. <laughs> Makes sense to me. Before they set off, Sumire, the class president, is talking with Serata, and she's just like, hey, is Barto popular back home? And Serata's like, I don't know. I guess he befriends everyone pretty quickly. And she's like, oh, does that bother you, Serata? That other girls might like Barto? And Serata's like, huh? No. Okay, what well, bothers me? And Serata's like, She's like, okay. I don't give a fuck. I, I don't, how do I not, like, immediately get this across? And Samira is just like, basically just like, you like him, right? You like him, right? He's like, what are you talking about? Are you turning into a villain right now? What's, what's up? Like, I don't, I don't get it. It's a really annoying scene because, like, oh, you know, a show in series where, where, you know, two young female characters are immediately is like, it's, oh, the conversation between them is about love interests and stuff. The only good part of it I like is that Sarah just like clearly just like has no inkling of what the hell she's talking about at all whatsoever. Just like they are com- on completely separate pages. It's like okay, good. It shows that Sarada is you know not Sumire. <laughs> yeah, I mean this is this is also kind of leading to what will presumably become realization of those feelings over time. This is sort of that that initial setup for that. Or early setup for that, rather, I should say. The seeds have already been planted, uh, to use a term that sounds really dirty if you think about it the wrong way. But, uh, essentially, that's where it's going to go. But at least it is nice to that it's not a direct soon dare thing. Like, she's not immediately, like, blushing. Like, she's <laughs> no, not no, like, I like him or anything. <laughs> I don't even think about it that way. But she is going to eventually realize this feeling. It's, it's inevitable. Um, I, I guess I almost have to kind of wait to see where the series is at at this point, because... Serata hasn't gotten all that much focus. She has actually hasn't been really relevant to the series in, for the most part. None of, none of the team have except for Boruto. But this is the first time we've really seen them involved in a series per se ever since like the movie ended. Uh, so it's, it's going to be interesting to see how they get involved from here, more or less. So I actually uh, ended up, I guess because I was interested to see how the manga and the anime are related. And apparently they're not, actually. The Boruto anime is actually a prequel to the movie, which was the first arc of the manga. So the events of the anime actually take place, like, while they're at the Ninja Academy, like the base, you know, elementary and middle school uh, kind of stuff. So how old are they supposed to be then? Because aren't they, like, 11 in the academy? I don't know. Okay. Sounds interesting. So that's kind of how they circumvent the, you know, the Dragon Ball Super issue, where it's like, well, we've got a weekly anime series and a monthly manga, so we're going to have to skip a lot of stuff in the manga. (laughs) I thought the Dragon Ball Super was the original series and the manga just is a manga adaptation of it. Is that not not the case? I think that that is the case. Okay. 
I mean, they're running concurrently, roughly concurrently. Um, but yeah, the manga has to skip a lot of stuff in order to keep pace. There was literally an entire arc where they were just like, stuff happened! Anyway! <laughs> no, the, the tournament of power has begun! <laughs> like, okay. Basically, yes. The entire, like, freeze arc was just like, if you want to know what happened, you can watch Resurrection F! <laughs> <laughs> Shit, I am so behind on Super, I need to catch up on that. Yeah. Uh... So Serata runs off in order to catch up with the group, and uh, they go to the Zeppelin that Konohamaru was hanging out before, uh, and they see, like, a bunch of puppets lying around on the ground. And uh, so they're like, oh, there was some sort of a battle here. And they look around, like, oh, hey, ninja puppets, gotcha. Um, and Serata brings up, okay, well, you know, if there are puppets here, then there must have been a puppet master around here at some point. Uh, so, you know, maybe Konohamaru chased him off. Maybe he was being pursued by the puppet master. You know. uh, Kanasuke goes and checks out the inside of the Zeppelin, sees the same mysterious black crate that Konohamaru discovered. And then Baruto looks over and sees that one of the puppets is twitching, and it stands up and goes... Rawr, 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 rawr. And Boruto's like, what are you looking at? You saying good morning or something? It's a it's a puppet, Boruto. It it's a puppet. It can't understand you. Why are you talking to it? It's a valuable time you could have spent punching it instead. You're going down, Chrome Dome. <laughs> They're like, why are you shit talking it? Why are you shit talking it with terrible shit talk? He's like, I learned it from a movie. <laughs> So we get to see the the kids each use like a different ninjutsu thing in order to fight them. Um all of the puppets start standing up at once, kind of zombie style, so of course they're surrounded on all sides as a result of that. Uh they fight them for a little bit, but they aren't really doing much damage to them. And uh then they the puppets open their mouths and start like firing bursts of like fireballs from their mouths. Um, and everyone ducks behind a rock to take cover. And, uh, Boruto's like, what the, what the hell? How are they using these fire techniques so quickly? And Sarada says, yeah, and they're not weaving signs, you know, the way that the, that happens in Naruto. Um, and, uh, Kataske says, it is what you suspect, Sarada. These attacks are due to scientific ninja tools. They are autonomous puppets that don't require a puppeteer. So they're robots. <laughs> robots in Naruto. <laughs> robots in Ninja Land. Ninja robots. <laughs> I don't know if I can tolerate this series anymore, Nick. <laughs> Fireball breathing ninja robots. <laughs> I'm uncomfortable. Oh, God. So, Kataske's like, it's cool, guys, I got this. I have black holes in the gauntlets of this suit. <laughs> and so the robots start shooting fireballs at him when he comes up from behind cover. He sucks them into these black hole things, and the robots are so stupid, the AI is so poorly programmed, that you just keep on shooting fireballs at him until they overheat and crash. Yay! <laughs> So 
So then they're like, okay, let's go remove their internal processors or what the fuck ever before they cool down. And they do that, and they're like, all right, problem solved. Yay. <laughs> Works well enough. Katasuke has a brief flashback to being informed by Ibuki that he was um, hypnotized by ninjutsu and might have given away scientific ninja secrets. So he's like, oh, I must take responsibility for my actions. Uh, the dog Chamaru has found a kunai, which means that Konohamaru threw it and missed. Um, but Wait, it's got his scent on. Hold on. Someone threw a kunai and it missed? It's a good thing he missed, too, because otherwise it would have someone else's scent on it, too. Is this uh, a first? Has a kunai mm, ever missed before? I don't know. Let's ask Ten Ten. Um, yeah, <laughs> she's just surrounded by missed weapons, and she's just crying. <laughs> she's got like she's in her shop. She's bored. She's got a bunch of target boards on the wall that are completely bare, and all the kunai and shuriken in her shop are surrounding them and banging the wall. <laughs> she's just crying. She's like, why? <laughs> I'm supposed to be accurate. I'm the uh, may- Hawkeye of this universe. Uh, maybe, maybe this one. Damn it! <laughs> she like throws it from a foot away. It still like veers off course and bends the wall. She's like, how? Um. So they ha- they follow Chamaru as he tracks down Konohamaru's scent. He's caring for other ninja guy that he was with in a cave. Uh, the kids find him. And they're like, we've come to rescue you from this gigantic cave that anyone would suspect that you're hiding out in. Um, Kadasuke and Konohamaru are like, there must have been something in that black crate. It was empty when I got there, but I got the data unit attached to it. So take this back for analysis. And then Ao shows up and he's like, I have tracked you down as well. Mind sharing those details with me? And Bart is like, hey, you're the... You're my best friend now. Missed guy. We had that long, heart heartfelt conversation on the train, and I guess I forgot about you because I had this great lesson about the benefits of ninja technology. Oh, you mean how, like, it can help people who are cripples? No, how, you know, it can help dogs that are crippled, not humans. How laser swords are cool. <laughs> <laughs> so Kanohamaru... Says the weirdest fucking thing, because he recognizes Al by name. And he's like, you are Al the Byakugan killer, who was one fourth Mizukaki May's right-hand man. Did he also like, say oh, yes, you remember that, because your grandfather was a Hokage, and uh, you were around during that time. Yes, yes. You were previously listed Kodoha's bingo book in gold letters. Of course I remember you. What the fuck? <laughs> You, you have what amounts to essentially royal lineage, and you're like, well, you were in a bingo book, so that's how I remember you. <laughs> well, what makes your sense? dad was, your grandfather was the president. You should know this shit. Yeah, that makes sense to me. He's like, he was a no, he was a known danger to the country. Essentially, it, it was important for him to know. Bingo book and gold letters. What the fuck? I'm surprised they have enough money for gold letters. That sounds like some really <laughs> egregious, like, just use of taxpayer money. I'm not sure if I'm kosher with that. So, Kunahamra is like, what are you doing here? And Al says, I'll ask the questions. And he pulls out a Gatling gun. 
He's like, where are the contents of the, of the container? And Kuhaver is like, I'm a shinobi in the middle of a mission. I know, and you know, I can't, I don't provide any intel that relates to the mission, especially to one such as you, who is no longer a shinobi. And I was like, all right, sit yourself. <laughs> That's where the chapter ends. Like, I'm just going to use this Gatling gun to kill you all. Okay. Fair enough. Oh, man. I don't know when... I don't know who decided that Boruto should have just, like... We should just have sci-fi technology now in this series. But it's so... It, I keep on being... Im- surprised by it's like I have a lightsaber I have a robot I have a minigun so yeah that was, that was the chapter for this month yeah I mean this wasn't like a, a mind blowing chapter or anything like that so oh man alright uh, get to talking so. about that food wars, food wars. get that Shokugeki. food wars in my belly alright it's uh, chapter 244, The Fourth Bout. Um, so Soma has just defeated Some, um, and uh, that means that the third round in the regiment battle is done. Uh, so the Polaris Storm members who were locked up uh, and Alice just knock over the wall of their cage, uh, shoddy construction that, and uh, glomp on him. Uh, I guess they could have just done that any time if they just worked up the enthusiasm to do it. It's weird that they, like, break out and only one member of that group looks like they were actually doing anything like a pushing motion. The rest of them just looked like they were running like, yay! Yay! And just slammed into the cage with their faces and then <laughs> it, like, fell over. <laughs> like, I expect everyone else has, like, big metal bar marks across their face. Uh, so... Everyone is happy. Um, let's see here. Uh, Megumi's like, yay, Soma won! And Takumi uh, says like, hey, we all won together as a team. Your efforts played a large part in Yukiri's victory, so you can be sure he's, and you can be sure he's aware of that. Megumi's like, I don't feel so bad that I was the only one who lost. Yay! Yeah, like, they give her like the, uh, the customary, like, don't worry, your contributions were immensely important. Not in any tangible way. Like, you didn't oh. seem to really do anything that helped anyone actively. But spiritually, man, you were all over the place. So good job <laughs> there. So Some is watching all this happen, and he thinks to himself, the weaker to be protected, yes. But now I can see that a part of me assumed they did nothing but meekly accept that protection. Yugihiro was different. He didn't discriminate between the weak and the strong. He earned what he could, he learned what he could from the various blades all manner of chefs wielded. That's right. It's not like I made it this, this far entirely on my own either. I was able to take my mother's place behind the counter at our restaurant because I had our, our reliable staff there to aid me. It's also obvious now, yet I'm only just realizing it. I really wish that this had been played up a little bit more in the build. You mean too. brought up ever? Yeah. You didn't just yeah. develop this sudden personality trait now of like, it was always my big fatal flaw of not recognizing the talent around me. It's like, when did this happen? You seem to really serve in a lot of kitchens that didn't respect you at all in your backstory. Yeah, that seemed to be the overwhelming plot of your character a couple chapters ago. It's like, no, no, my my fatal flaw was always underestimating the people around me and not, not taking enough for them, only thinking of myself and how to get stronger. 
it's like would have really definitely helped out with that issue I pointed out was like then there wasn't enough emphasis on you know the differences between them so but yeah so many you know wish it offers uh, so much some congratulations and uh, then everyone breaks uh, to prepare for the fourth bout and all of the people who were locked up uh, in the Rebel Alliance are just hanging out in the barracks now which is a little weird because uh, they're just kind of like we're going to offer peanut gallery advice uh, peanut gallery discussion on your planning as well as your actual cooking um there's some interesting little notes like uh, Mimasaka kind of go, approaches Takumi and he's like, hey, you know, you did a really good job. You know, you did the same thing that that uh, that I do. And, you know, you have it in you to be an even better stalker if you just, you know, observe your targets and persist, you know, persistently. It's like, no, no, I'm not going to do that. No, no. Um, Ishiki brings up that he thinks that he's going to participate in the fourth bout, asks anyone else if they're interested in going, and yeah, all the first years left are like, yeah, okay. Um, I just realized how this is about to go. I just realized how this... Okay, I got it. Oh, I'm pretty sure I know what's going to happen. Yeah, we'll, we'll save for the end. Um, let's see here. So... Uh, everyone's jumping to go, and then Hayama's like, hold on, there are more characters back here, which means that we should need to have a longer discussion involving more people. <laughs> we should all add our commentary to this. <laughs> the dude bros are just like, yeah, so you should, like, totally... <laughs> um, but Hayama brings up, hey, the council only has three people left. So you know exactly who is going to come out for the next round. Uh, if you can sweep this, you'll win. Um, but they're also like, hey, you're kind of like going up against the three most powerful people too. And there is this really badass uh, image of the three remaining central figures and their like fantasy uh, equivalent form. So, you know, Sukasa's a knight, Momo's a magician, and Rindo's a barbarian. I, fr- I think that they look freaking cool grouped together like that. I want that like a color version of that blown up as a poster. So um, how about neck with that? Please, please. Um, so Erina has an idea and we cut away, uh, as she, I guess, shares her plans with them to the central backstage area. And, uh, so, Soma is like, ah, oh, yes, you know, Soma Yugi here is a brave and stalwart man, and I can see, see how you lost to a maze on it. It's like, come on, what the fuck? <laughs> Be angry that you lost! <laughs> um, and then they cut over to Momo, who is taking selfies with the dish that she made. <laughs> and she's like, I do it for the love of cute. The love of cute is everything. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck kind of expression she's supposed to be making, what the hell kind of pose that is. Because she's trying to, like, you know, do this whole, like, I'm taking a selfie pose. But she's got this blank expression on her face, like... <laughs> nyan, nyan, nyan. Oh, boy. Um, she's uh, kind of pissed off over uh, the way things are going down. And uh, then they cut away to Rindo, who has arrived in the arena, looking super energetic again. And she's gets super chummy with Soma 
uh, out of the blue. He's like, yeah, that's right, Rindo Senpai is back. What you think about your old good old Rindo Senpai? I slept like a log and I'm ready to go. Come on. I love Rindo. I'm so glad that she's back to her normal self again. Um, Momo arrives. Uh, she's got, got Bucci with her. And she says, I still feel all prickly and mean inside. So I guess I just have to make another cute dish to relax. So what do you say, Butchie? What do you, how about we make something that'll just eat our opponents up? And then we get to see who her opponent will be. And it's Arena, which you can tell because it's, there's her boobs right there. There, there are her boobs. So you can tell it's Arena. She's the only one with boobs left. There are her boobs right there. It's a weird shot because you're like, it looks like someone's looking at a rat, doesn't it? Well, it's, it's less of that. I mean, it does. But it's like, this would be a important shot. Like, I could understand it if there was anything distinct about Erin's uniform besides that she's the only woman left on their team. So, yes, she's the only one. Who she's would have got been. long blonde hair. All you got to do is shoot her from the back in a way that doesn't emphasize her butt. <laughs> I mean, hey, if you have to do it, you have to. What are you going to do? But, yeah, it, it does just strike me as odd. I'm like... What am I supposed to see on here? Am I supposed to be like, look, that tied up fucking bandana on the sleeve. That must be Erina. She's always been known for a tied up bandana on the sleeve. No, that's Summer. Well, (laughs) shit, she also has one now, so it's just as important. I mean, especially the way that it's framed, because, you know, you see Erina approaching Momo, then Momo's reaction, then Soma is looking over at Erina approaching Momo, but then it cuts right from Soma to the next panel to its left is Arina's chest. So it re- like his eyes are level with her chest, the way that it's drawn. It looks like he's staring at her boobs. That's what it looks like. He's and you cannot tell me differently. He's a teenager, Nick. That's what they do. They're going to stare. But at he boobs. doesn't care about those things. He's Soma. He's weird. Hey, Nick. All teenage boys care about boobs, as we find out in this week's We Never Learned. Stay tuned for that. <sighs> okay. I mean, I really like the next shot of Verena a lot more, shooting her from above with, like, the light falling down on her full-page spread. Because this is a really big, important moment. This is the first time Arena is going to participate in a Shokugeki. That's huge. I mean, it's been nearly 250 chapters, and we've never seen her directly take the stage of battle. So we're going to actually get to see her, you know, cooking in action for the first time. She's got the most build up to this out of anyone who's participated in this whole competition. And uh, even Soma's, you know, excited. It's like, oh, hey, you know, I get to watch Nakiri compete with my own eyes for the very first time. Um, and then there's some bit, a bit of trash talking between Momo and Arena. Uh, because, you know, Momo tries to do her, you know, use a cutesy nickname on Arena thing. And... Uh, then Ariana's like, hmm, I have noticed you seem in poor spirits, which is too bad. Shall I tell you why? And they're just both just glaring down at each other. Um, and that's announced that the first part of the fourth battle is going to be those two. That's the only third of this that we get to see thus far. There's no hint as to who is going to face Sukasa and Rindo. But I have a prediction. Okay. Soma says that he gets to watch Nakira compete with his own eyes for the first time. That makes me think that he's the one who's being benched for this. And that we're going to get Ishiki and Takumi going up against Rindo and Tsukasa. They're going to lose, 
Rindo's going, Aaron is going to win, and we're going to get Aaron and Soma versus Rindo and Sukasa. That's how I think this is going to go down. Uh, specifically, I imagine it's going to be Ishiki versus Takumi and Takumi versus Rindo, with the hope being that even if Takumi can't beat Rindo, he'll bring enough out of her that she'll be forced to hibernate and be weaker for the next round. But then they'll find out that she's like, I don't care. When I'm super energized, I can't wait to fight. And then, yeah, it's going to be Soma and uh, Arena against the two of them. Presumably, with the idea being it'll be Soma against uh, Takumi, or not Takumi, Tsukasa. But uh, I'm, I'm still leaving it open that maybe, maybe they put Arena in that, that top spot. But who knows? But yeah, that's the way I see it going. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there could always be a twist along the way in this. Um, Holy so. shit, Soma's fighting him already. My God. <laughs> well, that was quick. <laughs> and he beats him. They're just like, wow, that was really weird. That... All right, it's a Survivor Series team with four survivors. <laughs> hey, everybody. Your sole survivors. <laughs> Fuck you, WWE. You always get that wrong. <laughs> All right. But I'm excited uh, for the for by this chapter. I thought it was... Uh, um, I'm glad that we're getting to see Arena, and I do think that it's the the proper amount, at least, of uh, circumstances being given to this. Because, like, hey, yeah, I don't even know what the hell her cooking is like. The, I think that the only stuff that we've seen are the stuff at her restaurant and when they did that breakfast thing, and that's it. So how the hell does she cook? So, All right, uh, let's move Time on. Time to get stoned! And acknowledge how right Chris was. Nick was very wrong about this. Yes. Nick was Nick was very wrong, and Chris was right. Um, Chris was definitely completely right about this. And honestly, there's something that happened in this chapter that actually surprises me more than me being wrong. (laughs) Last time we talked about this. Um, Okay, but we'll get into it. Uh, We start off with some color pages. and uh, I really like the uh, two-page spread for Z equals 42 million years in the making of, you know, the, all the important characters involved in, in the village right now. There's a lot more blue among the villagers' clothing than I was uh, thinking that there would be. I thought they were just, you know, I'll be wearing, like, brown and white and stuff. But apparently they don't wear to get, like, blue and green fabric because they're wearing it. They do. And also, I like how much, like, I know they are sisters, but... It's one of those things that, like, appearance-wise, is maybe hard to tell. But you're like, oh, wow, they really do look identical. Yeah, when minute. you've got the their actual hair color uh, to have that comparison. And they're not twins. Ruri's uh, older than Kahaku. Yeah, I just meant they're sisters. They look all alike. Right. Um, so everyone's reacting to the fact that Senku somehow won the tournament and is going to be the new village chief, take the lady shamaness Ruri as his wife, uh, e- even the judge, uh, what was it, like, Jade or something like that? Ju- J- it began with a J. Jasper. That was it, right? I think that was it. Sure. Um, even he's just like, well, this is happening. <laughs> so, Senku just says, like, huh, so you're telling me if I marry Rory, I get the village? No strings attached? Okay, let's do it. <laughs> And, like, everyone's reaction is like, oh, my God! And he's like, man, okay. <laughs> I guess that's how it works. Rory has... I, I don't think that I realized how incredibly sexual Rory has been drawn up to this point. Um, I don't know how I managed to overlook it, because, Jesus Christ, she gets 
very sexually drawn in this chapter at every interval you see her, including this one. I don't know how her, how, how does she have that much booty, Chris? Like she, she is a very thin creature. She's thin and sickly, oh. but, but she has a booty. Nick, you can still be dick. You don't have to be, you don't have to be big to be dick. She got that, all right? This is some Stone Age thickness going on. Grey Bob in the chat. I know that Kohaku gets her legs and butt shown a lot too. Ruri has been the sickly dying girl in every panel I've seen her in. So I just have apparently overlooked that she has this ridiculously sexualized body. <laughs> anyway. Um, so the chief, the, I guess now former chief wants to know where the hell Senku came from, why he's here. And Senku's just like, eh. I don't care if you accept that, that that I'm here or not. I'm the chief now, and so you guys got to deal with it. Um, and the villagers are all confused because, like, so the two chiefs are fighting. Who do we follow? And one guy's just like, Chief Kukuyo, of course. Yeah, yeah, that guy won the tournament. Yeah, I don't know if we can let him marry her, though. And Ziggy's just like, well, I won. Give me booze. Yeah. <laughs> um. So they bring in a whole bunch of, of booze. Rory collapses, coughing up blood again. And Sick is like, well, the clock's still really ticking here. We've managed to get this far, but we can't stop. And the villagers like, you're getting buried. So to celebrate, we're going to be drinking the night away. And Sick is like, oh, I demand a divorce then. And he runs off with all the booze. <laughs> I... I have to fully admit, yes, I was 112% wrong. I was like, there are many golden opportunities to be had with dramatic tension in all of this. You can build up weird tension between Chrome and Senku, keep Ruri and Chrome apart using this, uh, play off of how the hell Senku handles a completely loveless marriage. But that's not the type of series Dr. Stone is. In retrospect, I probably should have been much more open to this possibility than I was. I acknowledged, yes, it could be the case, but I didn't think so. Um, but all that said, I love the way that this goes down. He doesn't divorce Rory because he's not romantically interested in her. He doesn't divorce her because of loyalty to Chrome, whom he knows is in love with Rory. He does it because... He's got more important shit to do than celebrate the marriage. And that's it. He's <laughs> like, I have the booze. And if I stay here with the marriage, we're going to drink the booze. So I got divorced and I took the booze. Goodbye. <laughs> I love Rory's reaction. That face is something that we have not seen in this series at this point. Where she, she looks like almost she's in a horror manga with the expression. She's like, like what? <laughs> she's like, come again. Uh, that's a great picture, and we get and we even get like a an achievement unlocked thing for who got divorced. <laughs> um, so the uh, Kingdom of Science runs off with booze in tow. Um, Ruby, after the initial shock wears off, is like, huh, I guess I'm divorced, huh, Chrome? So, mm. uh, the chief. Is like, get that man! And, uh, kid. Oh, fuck. Hang on a second. Just my foot fell asleep and I've got pins and needles. Oh Shit. no! Nick! Oh, I hate that feeling. Recover! Uh, what if so, I send my good vibrations to you, Nick? Uh, Kinro and Ginro. Good. 
vibration. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. That song's oh. about not doing drugs. What's that? That song's about not doing drugs. Really? Yeah. Like, if you listen to it, Marky Mark talks about how drug-free his life is. Huh. It's about partying while being a loser, basically. I mean, not gotcha. his words, but mine. It's still a catchy song. Oh, Marky Mark. So, Kinro uh, sticks up on behalf of Senku. He says that, you know, he's been observing everything that uh, they've all been up to at this point. Um, we don't really see how the rest of that conversation goes. Uh, as we cut away to a waterfall where uh, they have set up this device that uh, spins something inside of a container with the motion of the waterfall. And, ah, pardon me. Yeah. Shit. Is that your, your leg popping again? Yeah. yeah. Um, Kaseki, the uh, artisan, uh, has set it up. And he's like, oh, yes, success in my first attempt, as expected. Are you charmed by my talent, young ladies? And Senku's like, hey, good job. Whenever I do this stuff, it takes me way, way more failures. Because he's just like, I'm not trying to charm you, Senku. I don't care about fucking dudes. So Senku leaves in order to take care of some stuff. He's like, yeah, we'll just you know leave this here and come back for it tomorrow. And Kaseki's like, well, I'm going to stick around and keep watch over it. I can't have my baby here getting smashed by a stray log. And then he stops again from leaving. And he's like, oh, come on, don't leave a feeble old man to stand watch by his lonesome. And he's like, I really don't want to. Kaseki rips off his his, his cloak, reveals how ripped he is underneath it. It's like, okay, yes, yes, I'll help you. <laughs> I really like Kaseki. I, I'm, I'm growing to like him more and more with each passing chapter that he's involved in. Everyone does, man. And you yeah. hope he get his peanuts. He's, he constantly gets his peanuts. He gets to make stuff and see how it works. Then I'm happy. Yeah. Um, we have a, we have another, um, you know, oh, sweet, uh, you, you sweet summer flower moment because, uh, they drag, uh, Chrome back to, uh, back, back to their, you know, hut. I like all the, the all the little details in this one tiny frame. Like, you know, Suika trips over her feet because she's not wearing the glasses. Kohaku's carrying Chrome in one arm with, the, with like, the beer balanced in the other. And Senku's like, his feet are heavy. <laughs> what did you call her? What did I call her what? You Sweet call- Summer Flower. Because she's, so, she's all innocent. Because after they deposited you, him there, she's you, like... You mean a Sweet Summer Child? Yeah, whatever. It's a Game of Thrones quote. I'm just saying, you got to get it right. So I'm not making a Game of Thrones quote. But that's so, where the quote's from. You sweet no, summer child. Sweet summer flower. No, it's not. It's not a thing. I'm looking up sweet summer flower and I'm just, I'm getting nothing here. So Suika is like, you're no devil after all, Senku. You carry Krum all the way back to the science kingdom and now you're giving him some well-deserved rest. And then Senku sticks some smelling salts up his nose to wake him up. We carried you here. We got work to do. You start working there, stupid. His tongue curls up into a fucking... Piece of shit. It's a piece of shit, Chris. We've learned that from Digimon. Uh, we get one of their science montages. Um, I don't think we need to go through all of it, honestly. Um, a lot of it's just done in flat-out montage of images anyway. Uh, eventually, uh, while Gen is looking over their little water-cranking device, he takes a peek inside and pours it out, and he's like, oh, it's it's it, you made carbonated water using the booze and 
in the water and by spinning it out like this. Um, so of course he immediately gets in his mind. Oh, with this you could make cola. He runs back to the kingdom of science where, uh, there has been an explosion because they, uh, poured a little bit too much of one chemical into another chemical. And they even make a joke about how difficult it is to say all the goddamn different chemicals that Senku is using and developing because he goes on this, there's just this huge word bubble where he explains what one was used to make the other through and through and through. And then Gen says, I wonder if you could say that three times fast, Senku. Because <laughs> it's, I mean, this is stuff that if I like struggled over it syllable to syllable, I would still not be able to do it. Because he says like, P-acetamido-benzene-sulfonyl-chloride. And I don't even know if I said that right, even while going like, stuttering through it like an idiot. So. Do it three times fast, no problem. I'm sure you can, Chris, and I'm not going to bother to ask you to demonstrate right now because I have that much confidence in your ability to say this line three times fast, which is why when we do this for, uh, we're going to save it for a bonus episode. So when we do, <laughs> so when we do, it's going to go so perfectly. Your own yeah, when we do a weekly like, recap, shit. lives about this chapter, and you're of course going to do Senku. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to blow everybody away. Everyone's yeah. gonna be like, hot shit. Chris is fucking amazing at this. Yeah. Senku snatches the carbonated water from Gen, and Gen's like, uh, ah, yes, Senku. I was about, I was beside myself to discover this. Like Senku's like, yes, because carbonation means yes, yes, carbonation means we get sodium bicarbonate by mixing with sodium hydroxide. Because, like, yeah, great fucking baking soda. Shit. <laughs> um, and, uh, they do the last step, uh, with, uh, by, and they get, they have now formed their thing that they need. Their, their sulfa drugs, their panacea, 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 Pinocchio. Um, and so they finally made it, and uh, everyone's relieved. Chrome uh, is like, yes, we've done it. Kohaku say, starts to tear up because her sister's finally going to be cured. And Senku's like, huh, don't start tearing up yet. Wait till she's actually cured. And Kohaku's like, I'm not crying! While striking, like, the girliest pose that she has made in this entire manga yet. Gen stays behind because he's part from the village. And uh, he walks back into, into the kingdom of science. And he sees a bottle that's got cola in it. Um... Yeah, so I wasn't actually expecting this to happen this early, honestly. I thought that this was like his entire reason for joining up with the Kingdom of Science, and it's he got his peanuts really quickly. I'm kind of surprised, Chris. <laughs> Usually, you have to wait to be an old man that looks like he's on the verge of death from sadness. I know. I'm so happy for that young old man. <laughs> a little, you know, a little bit of Kaseki's old man rubbed off on him, so he's an old man now. He can get his peanuts. <laughs> he deserves them. Old men deserve their peanuts. Old um, deserve their peanuts. Let's be real. So yeah, Sen Senko made a little bit of cola with like his own face on it too. It looks like designed <laughs> the label, which is the really impressive part. Mm. They I, I'm actually a little bit impressed by his artistic abilities. Plus, where did he? Plus, he got you know, yeah, very very soda bottle shaped glass. Good job, Kaseki. I'm not impressed with his cursive because it, it definitely does not finish up very well. His A well, is... English is his second language. Chris, give him a break. I guess. 
Right. Now, if we if we happen to see his curse of kanji and it looks like shit, then you can you know, chew him out for it. And then I really just blast his ass. Uh, so uh, the grand mission that they have launched on seems to be coming to a close because they have the medicine ready to give to Ruri to hopefully cure her as they head back. They've got antibiotics. Now, um, <laughs> speaking of the sexual way in which Ruri is drawing this chapter... This panel at the end is dirty. Like, it's fucking dirty. I don't... Oh, man. <laughs> she's hungry, frickin- Nick. She's, she's hungry for... She's, uh... She needs that... She needs that sweet, salty medicine in her mouth. She needs and she's going to get on her hands and knees to take it into her mouth while pressing her boobs together. The way that everyone who takes medicine poses... Well, look, there's no pe- like pill capsules for it, so she's got to take it, you know, all at once orally. And how else, Nick? If you are needing to take medicine and it's being delivered to you via leaf, uh, you know, how else are you going to do it? But by I will take it in leaves. my hand and take it. She's sick, Nick. She needs someone. She, she can't lift she, her hands. She, she can't. can't move from her kneeling, ready to suck off that salt posture. Yes. That's that's the condition she's in, Dick. I'm sorry that she's sickly and ill, but that's that's where she's at, you know? Magma's like, well, yeah, that's the real reason I wanted to bury her. She's got blowjob disease. <laughs> she's got it's the, fatal. She's got the genetic uh, fucking condition to constantly and be be in position for blowjobs twenty four. If she doesn't, if she doesn't suck you suck you off, she will explode. <laughs> It's a really big problem and a fantastic one for you know whoever she's going to be with. But man, it's hell for her. It's just hell. Oh god. Uh with that, I believe we should move along to yeah, uh, it was it was it was it was a nice chapter, uh, a little bit surprising, but uh um, I'm I continue to be entertained by Dr. Stone. Let's move on to this. Let's move on to one of the greatest chapters known to mankind. Question 44. He and a genius each consider a decision pertaining to X, which is a very long roundabout way to be. This is a chapter about a ton of breast jokes and boob jokes and bra jokes. So we actually don't have a ton of time, so I'm going to have to flash through this one really quickly. But uh, Ogata gets her grades, and they are E's. E's across the board. All E's. And then we cut over to the rest of the girls who are just discussing the fact that they're going to be getting towards summer and they wish they could be doing summer things. Uh, Takamoto just brings up the idea of being at a beach and Asumi is like, yeah, I wonder uh, what uh, Ogata, you know, I'd like to see her in her swimsuit sometime. What's her cup size anyway? And they argue about what her cup size is. And they think that this conversation essentially is happening loud enough that when Ogata shows up, she immediately understands the context because she shows up and just says, I got ease. And all the girls are like, holy shit. Don't like, I, they must've gotten smaller from the last time. That's crazy. And she's like, what about the rest of you girls? And they're like, oh, I got a D. I have B's. Uh, like Fumito was eventually beaten down to the point where she's like, I've got A's, I guess. And uh, Ogata's so excited about that. She's like, I'm so envious of you. And eventually, they 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 discuss it enough that Ogata's like, I have no idea how you assume this is all about bra sizes. I was talking about my test scores, you fucking Oh, weirdos. oh, you have no idea how someone could mistake this for being about grades instead of bra sizes. 
Oh! Cut a little bit forward. Be- oh, I-, I should note the one thing that's important about this is that Asumi brings up the fact, like, oh yeah, you you, you should understand how big you, like, your breasts are as a tool for men because all guys are total boob heads and all they care about is a girl's rack. But yeah, that works. Even, even Uruka's like, well, you think that that's actually going to apply to you know, Nariyuki too? And it is. He's like, oh yeah, he seems like a total perv dog if you ask me. Yeah, he's he's a fucking he's a, he has a Pornhub account. I guarantee it. So cut over to the two of them studying together at Ogata. At her our family restaurant, she's in her family restaurant uniform. And she's worried because she thinks that Oga, uh, Uega is, is thinking about her breast. And he asks, so did you have, do you have D's or E's? Of course, talking about her grades. And she immediately assumes, oh man, he's talking about my breasts. And he actually goes into this whole fucking mental sphere where he had a reaction prepared for every single possible grade result that she could have gotten, where he's like, oh, you know, if you had a B, then you're like, oh, hey, you're almost there. Keep it up. Or, oh, see, that's halfway. You can apply to half the schools you want. She, of course, thinks he's talking about breasts, so she's like, I have Gs. And it's the only part I legitimately laughed at, where Uega's just like, Gs? I've never even heard of a test result (laughs) that bad. What does that mean? Let's see, if an E is less than 20% and an F is 0%, then G would be negative 20%? (laughs) So he has no idea how the fuck to respond to this. And she's like, oh man, I shouldn't have given an answer. So he tries to come back with something. He's like, hey, don't worry about it. After all, we're just starting to get a grasp of this situation. It becomes a whole bunch of jokes about firmly grasping the situation and her thinking it means, uh, oh, he wants to grab my breasts. And eventually they both kind of reach this. Well, he also says something along the lines of like, hey, I think it's great that you have lots of room to grow. And the guy's like, he wants them bigger. They eventually reach this climax where both of them kind of shout something together. And he's like, I can't see you so upset over this practice again, exams. And she's like, okay, you can touch them just for a quick feel. And of course, that's when her dad shows up and is like, what are you trying to do to my daughter in my restaurant? And uh, cut away to the next moment. They're on a swing set. And Uega's like, I just don't understand how you got confused with this conversation in bra sizes. I just... Especially after she had the exact same misunderstanding earlier. Come the fuck on. It is amusing that I guess she got so caught up in the idea that all boys could think about as sex that she got caught up in the exact same logical fallacy she critiqued earlier in the day. Uh, and that's that's honestly... The, the chapter for the most part. There's just a, a moment of him saying like, hey, you know, in my case, I'm just here to try to encourage you as your tutor and you'll do good better next time. But there is a moment where he is a horn dog and he is like, you know, fucking D-sized or what was it? E-sized breasts? That's G-sized breasts. G, yeah. So he's like, G-sized. Wow, that's crazy. And she's like, you're looking at him. And he's like, ah. And that's it. That's the chapter. It's, it's a lot of bra jokes. This chapter was garbage. It's it only makes sense that we got a chapter this phenomenally stupid and juvenile immediately after you declared 
that it was a better series than Nisekoi. So as if the I god know. of manga came down and said, oh, you dare to speak such heresy. I'll show you what's a worse harem series. This was fucking stupid. It was shit. I cannot believe that we spent an entire chapter about nothing but we're not talking about boobs? Fuck off. Reducing Ogata's character to the fact that her boobs are going to be bigger than her head by the time that this series is fucking over. It's stupid. The only good thing that came from this chapter is Ruka's new hairstyle is cute. I think she just tied them into to ponytails. I don't think she, she, looks, she looks cute. I have to find something good to say about this. I, I do. I, I, the one joke I still get a good laugh out of is just like, geez, I've never even heard of a great dead pad before. What does that even mean? They try to process that knowledge together. Hey, mm. it is It is what it is. We never learn how to those chapters from time to time, but uh, we don't have time to really dig into a week. Let's make some jokes about how Ogata's breasts are getting even cartoonishly bigger. Yeah, we've got a... Uh, 30 minutes to get through four chapters, so we got to... The promised Neverland! Chapter 68, this is how it is. This is a really good chapter. So, picking up where the last one left off, uh, Emma and the other kids who are inside of Goldie Pond have to run away from the hunters. The music sounds indicating that the hunt is over and that they have all survived. So she thinks. She runs and tries to find Theo, Monica, and Jake, the three kids that she saved last time. Uh, she finds Theo, uh, who is injured because she wants to bring him to where they actually have emergency medical supplies to take care of the injured. She doesn't see Monica and Jake. We get a flashback from Theo's perspective to where Luvis was going after them. And uh, Theo basically knew that he could do what Emma said. And tell them that, you know, Emma is from Gracefield House, but he doesn't want to do that. He doesn't want to get Emma in, into danger. So instead, he doesn't say anything and just continues to try and run. Louis pulls some Shinpo bullshit where he just appears in front of Theo after he was chasing from behind him, swings his axe down. Jake appears in between the two of them. And Louvis pauses for a minute um, while Jake tells him that, you know, I have to make up for being a cowardly big brother. I won't abandon you now. You have to run and survive. Louis kills him. And then he catches Monica. Kills her, too. Theo's the only one who gets away. Both of them are killed. He tells this to Emma. Starts blaming himself, apologizing to his dead siblings while Emma looks down helplessly at him. And then we cut away to the douchebag hunters who are all eating meat. Monica meat. Is that supposed to be human meat? And Jake steak. <laughs> it is now. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I love the, uh, you know, deliberate juxtaposition of, you know, the children crying over, over their, their lost friends and the, and the demons going, yeah. <laughs> Um, the two older guys who are handing out medical supplies uh, have a brief discussion. They're like, how many died today? Until the four. Eh, just the usual, huh? So they're just going to use this. The still nameless kid approaches Emma 
and asks, hey, are you depressed? This is just the way that it is. You know, you managed to save a lot more people, even though you lost those two, you did well. But there are times when even your best isn't enough. And uh, we get one more bit of the flashback of the conversation between uh, Theo and Luvis, where Luvis gave back the axe that he had just killed his brother and sister with. Wow. <laughs> and uh, tells him, I'll let you live. I won't kill you both yet. Do you feel hatred for me? Do you feel frustrated? Then use that hatred to come kill me. Tell that red-haired one, too. My name is Luvis. Now, don't just run away. Come and hunt for me, too. And uh, I think this is a brilliant chapter. Um, it's a really great kind of sort of mid-season finale-ish kind of chapter. Um, you, know, you know, setting up a big thing on a dramatic negative note. Um, but I really just like the way that that one big action that Emma made so embodied her character um, was so a thing that Emma would do that uh, Louvis immediately understood her and uh, knew how he could get her to come after him and why she was the way, uh, why she had done, did certain things. So he knows exactly what to do next because he knows how she thinks and what she'll do in response to his actions. It's good. Yeah. It's a very good chapter. All right, okay. let's jump through really quick. Seven Deadly Sins for this week, chapter 284, or 48, rather, Our Choice. Uh, the cover is all the Seven Deadly Sins in, like, Middle uh, Asian clothing, except it's for... It's Kung Flu, Kung Flu Flick. Yeah, I, I, it took me way too long to realize that's, uh, Di or not Diane, Elizabeth in the very far back, because her one thigh got enormous in, yeah. be in between shots. I was like, is Chun Li in this manga? And I realized Chun Li was in the other manga we talked about this week. <laughs> so, also, I like that Meliodas is a drunken master because Bor said <laughs> it makes sense. So the chapter starts off with uh, not Chandler being really upset about the way things. Cusack, uh, his... we got to make a John or Joan Cusack joke so that you'll remember it, Chris. <laughs> there we go, Cusack. There we go. So Cusack's really upset about the way things are going. Uh, again, I'm, I'm I'm really gonna have to abridge this because we don't have a whole lot of time. But the uh, mysterious. Uh, not mysterious. The demon whose name I've forgotten, the one who commented on Essa Rosa's fucking enormous cock earlier, is uh, whispers something to him, and it seems to give him some kind of inkling as to what's going on, because he just says, like, oh, pacifier, I'll be back. Which annoys me, they don't call Chandler by Chandler enough, they call him pacifier this time. I mm -hmm. want him to be called Chandler. It's his name. It's uh, like the it's like the Vin Diesel movie, The Pacifier, but when instead of Vin Diesel, on the road, it's just Chandler. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Not Matthew Perry, Chandler. <laughs> could there be any more kids? <laughs> so but we cut over to the inside of a room where Melodius and Elizabeth are having an argument. She's she's begging him to reconsider. He's saying, "No, there's no other way. I have to break the curse." And uh, Elizabeth has this rather touching speech about how she hates – she's very scared of the future because she's scared of dying and losing all the memories that she has of everyone. Even if she knows she'll live again, she'd lose the memories she's made with Diane and the other seven deadly sins and everything like that, her sisters. So she, she's scared of that. But even if she breaks the curse, what, what tears her apart the most is the idea of, of Melodius becoming the demon lord in order to do that. And she doesn't want that. She doesn't want to live in a world like that. And Melodius 
says, you know, even if we break this curse, you know, those feelings will be like, will be wiped clean. So, you know, we'll live in a world where you're not pre-programmed to fall in love with me. And, you know, she has this kind of loud shouting thing where she's like, I wish you would you know, just ignore me when I ask for help. I wish you could have fallen for somebody else. You had options. And there's a brief moment where all of sort of like the demonic power fades away from Melodius and he looks as he did previously. And he says, every version of you as a goddess or a princess of Leonis, I love them all. You know, and I could tell you for sure that all 106 Elizabeths, including the one you are right now, we all loved by choice. So, obviously, no, no, that's what that's what Elizabeth says to him. Yeah, yeah. So they, you know, they have this touching moment where Elizabeth basically says, "I've always loved you," and everything like that. And Melodia says, "Yes, I love you too." But every time I normally hug, touched you, I couldn't keep my heart from beating, uh, skipping a beat. But now I feel nothing, and all the demonic energy comes back, and emo music starts playing, and he says. I have nothing left, so all I have is to keep the promise I made to you, and uh, Elizabeth's like, okay, fine, then I'm going to work with Seven Deadly Sins to stop you from becoming the Demon Lord with everything I have. And uh, she's she's like, stop being stupid, and she slaps him, and he's like, if hitting me will make you feel better, then hit me. She's like, okay, <laughs> spirit bomb! And fucking, <laughs> like, super blasts him, and then runs away in that brief moment. Elizabeth suddenly turned into a badass, and I kind of love it. I, Although this image of her running looks really weird. <laughs> I wish there had been any other image for her running. It's almost as bad as Flash's running for the new Super or Justice League movie, but, you know, let's take what we get. Cut away, then over to the boar's head. Merlin's heading out. She's like, I sent someone coming. I'm going to go deal with them. She has uh, uh, Melascula inside of the, the tube, and she says, hey, no interfering with whatever happens. I have a, I have a card up my sleeve. Don't worry about it. Uh, heads outside. It's Zeldris. And he's like, ah, good. It's you. So we can dispense with pleasantries. He's like, I bitch, I ain't never seen you before. And she's like, oh, what about now? And she, she turns into a child. And he's like, oh, oh, I know you. And we find out that Mel uh, Merlin is the blessed daughter of the demon lord and the supreme deity. Essentially, uh, the son, or the daughter rather, of Satan and Chick God. And that of course she is. A fact I had not noted. Of course she is. It makes Merlin a very significant character in the context. Of course it does. <laughs> a character so significant, you wonder why she hasn't done more to this point. She's always felt like she was like the fourth, fifth. Like, she's, tier of deadly sin. And it's like, holy shit, she's maybe more important than Melodious when you consider it. She's like Urza, but never used. <laughs> Which makes her infinitely better. Yeah, that's a pretty big bombshell to drop it off on. Um, and I'm still trying to process that, but I, I really love the scene that uh, Elizabeth has with Melodious. It's a very uh, sweet scene between the two of them. And I like that Elizabeth is saying fuck you to this plan and running off and she's going to do her own yeah. shit. All right. Let's go into Black Clover, page 138, Assault. Uh, so last time, Mary was uh, kicking Raya's ass. We get about three pages of that before cutting away to other parts of the dungeon where Yuno is uh, kicking people's shit in as well. And then he notices that there is a pulse. And that's it. Because the rest of the chapter, very Quickly, suddenly, jarringly, goes cuts to a little while earlier, 
just after the Royal Knights charge into the Eye of the Midnight Sun's hideout. And just, they're, they're in the Black Bull's hideout now. But, okay. So, built up to that big twist. is like, oh, hang on. We gotta go back here to, uh, yeah. Alright. So, Gauche is hanging out with Gray and the other one, the weird one. I don't think his name actually gets said this entire chapter. The weird mime-looking mumbler. Anyway. Um, so, they're just there, and Gaj is like, I really don't want to be around these people. They're, they're, because Gray is being all super nervous. She's forcing herself to be in her human form, um, because she, I guess, feels like she owes it to them at this point. Uh, Gordon is the other guy's name, and, uh, he is, being his usual creepy mumbling self. And Gauch even tries to like go to his room so that he can, you know, finish carving a little doll of Marie. Of course he is. And they're like, no, don't leave us alone with each other. It's like, why okay. not? Wouldn't that be the easiest? You two are both socially awkward. So it's not as though one of you would be more imposing than the other. Uh, Goran shows up that he has voodoo dolls of a bunch of, of all the other black bulls, and he's like, I made these because I wanted to make friends with everybody. I'm like, all right, that's where... <laughs> that's when we stop talking. <laughs> that's when I'm like, that was great. It's been nice knowing you, Gordon. I'm going to just leave this going. I'm going to leave this state, this country, this kingdom. I'm out of here. This is terrifying. <laughs> I do really like Gaush's reaction. He's like... You're scary. If you want to be friends with other people, work on being more approachable. Start with your face. <laughs> Don't make fucking weird, creepy mannequin dolls of your friends that have X's for eyes. <laughs> for buttons. Still weird. There's a brief exchange between them because Gauch is just like, I'm going to the bathroom. Where is it today? And then they bring up the, the inside of the hideout shifts around all the time. Is that a, I don't think that's a detail that's been brought up prior to this. No, it's I don't a weird think that they detail, but okay. I mean it's I'm not objecting to it. It's actually something that I would like to see more of in Black Clover, you know, give locations greater identities than just they're in a building or they're in a cave or they're in a forest. Apparently it was mentioned in Chapter 2. Well, I mean, it's easy to forget because they don't spend a lot of time there, and that isn't something that gets featured a tremendous amount. So has never been relevant before this point. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, even now it's not relevant. It's, it's, it's important only for a joke, essentially, of someone mm-hmm. being like, where's the bathroom today? Um, a zombie's outside the window. Gray freaks out when she sees it. Zombies come pouring into the hideout. Uh, because those kind of offshoot members of the Eye of the Midnight Sun that have been defeated prior to this, they, they, they've shown up again, which means that they've got, they've got zombies in tow. It's, you know, glasses scientist girl and eye patch guy and uh, portal dude. Isn't like Raxies? What are their names? Raxes? I fucking know. <laughs> um, one of them breaks the Marie doll that uh, Ga- Gauss was carving, so he gets really pissed off. He swims a bunch of mirrors. He blasts them. And uh, now the three of them are going to have to defend the Black Bull's hideout against the zombie horde. Okay. 
I mean, I'll be excited if they actually make like a real fight out of this and they give these characters a chance to shine. That'd be kind of yeah. sweet. The three most neglected members of the Black Bulls at this point. Yeah, I'd be all for that. Uh, it does make me again question what's supposed to happen inside of the actual base because they brought like 50 fucking important characters together and the only member of significance left has just been defeated like by one person. So I definitely am wondering what's supposed to happen there. But if that's what this is about, then hey, that sounds pretty cool. Mm. That's it. That's the chapter. Let's go on to finish up with One Piece, chapter 800. Hang on. 89. 89? 889? Is that it? 889. Yep. You got it. Yay! Unfamiliar Mama. Mama. Um, The cover pages for the uh, Straw Hat fleet have shifted from whatever his name was that was the boxing guy to Leon the Tantadas, which is infinitely more interesting. So, Okay. What, you you liked the fact that that the guy with punchy arms was going around? Punching people. I like anyone over the Tatata, Nick. I fucking hate the Tatata. Don't hate. I will. I'm a hate. Uh, Carrot is still uh, harassing the fleet that is chasing after the Thousand Sunny. Uh, Daifuku summons his genie by rubbing his tummy. Remember, uh, he has a genie! In his belly. Uh, in order to try and stop her, but he only succeeds in chopping up more of their ships because when he swings his glaive. Um, the Straw Hats realize, oh, hey, you know, Garrett's do- doing some really great stuff to help us out. And uh, Jinbei briefly explains what Sulong does. Uh, and he establishes what the danger of it is, which is that it kind of causes them to lose their self-control. So if you can't control your transformation, you could literally fight yourself to death in a single night. Um, so Brooke's like, okay, then we should help her out. Runs across the water because he could do that because he's a skeleton. That's how that works. Yeah. Yeah. Um, people start to recognize that something crazy is happening with, uh, with big mom. She's, you know, panting and uh, calling out for Zeus and Prometheus. Uh, she's skinnier. She's having difficulty breathing. And, and uh, Perospero says, yeah, yeah, it's been a really long time that she's been having her hunger pains. Nearly eight hours. And uh, we've never seen her go that long without being able to stop it. So I've never seen her like this. Um, they bring up that the cake is on its way, but it's on Beige's ship. So they're like, well, we can't trust that cake then. It'll be like poisoned or something. We cut the beige's ship, or beige's like, we should poison the cake! <laughs> what are you doing not poisoning it? And I do, I mean, it's, it's kind of a long point to make, um, where not a whole lot exciting happens, but Sanji refuses to have the cake poisoned because there's somebody hungry who wants to eat his food and he's going to serve them because that's his pride as a chef. No, okay. it's, it's extremely, like pivotal character moment for Sanji, probably maybe one of the biggest he's had this entire arc where it's just like, look, I know that she's big mom. I know that this could potentially kill one of the emperors, but I have pride as my chef and I would never poison my own food. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, to convince Beige, he's like, well, you know, we will let the cake defeat her. You know, my food will defeat her. And he's like, what the fuck? My Big Mom has defeat. Oh, wait, let me say, do this right. Like, Big Mom's been eating delicacies from all over the world her entire life. And you're going to bake a cake that surpasses her imagination? It's impossible. So Sanji feeds him some of the uh, icing that they're going to put on. He's like, okay. <laughs> it's just that good. Um, if this were and, food war, he'd be in the St. Valentine's Day Massacre of Deliciousness. He'd be getting right. shot with uh, tasty cakes. Mm-hmm. And Sanji says, Sanji says that you are free to assassinate her, but don't you dare do it until I satisfy my customer. When someone's hungry, I feed them. That's what a cook does. And this is probably the bet, the like most justified putting, you know, fawning over him moment, honestly, because like that's a pretty badass moment. Yeah. Um. We cut over to the ocean where Zeus and Prometheus are just kind of floating aimlessly trying to fa- find uh, Big Mom. Um, when they cut over to the Thousand Sunny again, Carrot uh, throws away, you know, another another helm. Um, but she's starting to lose her energy uh, and has to, you know, finish up here. Uh, Brooke has helped out by putting one of the ships to sleep. And then he catches her. She falls down and starts to carry her back to the Thousand Sunny. All she has to do in order to uh, transform back is hide her eyes from the moonlight. Um, but she's quite tired now. So not going to be really being able to do that again if something really bad happens. Fortunately, they are going to be able to get away now and nothing else bad will happen. Oh, Zeus and Prometheus showed up and now... Big Mom has turned Napoleon into a sword and has reached her second boss form. That is an awesome image of her with uh, all three of them together. Where the Prometheus has just become her flame hair. Well, and and, and Zeus is is the only one who doesn't look like he's ready to kill somebody. He's just like, hi, guys. (laughs) Yo, what up, guys? I'm here. Uh, Big Mom, of course, still thinks that the wedding cake is on the Thousand Sunny, so she flies o- flies over to it, lands on the deck, and demands that they give her the cake. And uh, Jimbei says, all right, everyone else stay back. We've got to be prepared to abandon ship if need be. That's the end of the chapter. Uh, very kind of transitional, I feel like. It was, you know, fun, but it wasn't something that was, like, game-changing like some of the other chapters that we've been getting recently. Which is like, this is happening, we have to explain why this doesn't happen, and so on. Yeah, I mean, we got essentially that very cool moment from Sanji, uh, and everything like that, but ultimately, you know, this was kind of to put in the big threat of, okay, Big Mom's on the ship now, how do they respond? Which is a pretty interesting sort of thing. It sucks that, again, we have a week off, but, uh, you know, we'll find out in a couple weeks. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. That is going to do it, then, for Weekly Manga Recap. So let's name our favorites for this week. Favorite series and MVP. And uh, there was apparently a very, very close... Um, let's see here. Promise Neverland basically narrowly, ra- narrowly won the poll, but uh, there were a lot of people who liked Dr. Stone, a lot of people who liked One Piece. So. Yeah, I can see that. I, I think I'm going to give mine to the Promise Neverland. We really didn't have a whole lot of time with it this week, unfortunately, just by the way the time fell out. But uh, the entire sequence of the demon kind of laughing and or not laughing, but but doing this whole murder thing and showing the survivors and the the wounded of this this hunt 
then juxtapose that with all of the demons having this luscious, like, you know, meal of essentially their victims from that round is just a powerful imagery. And it's, you know, losses help to motivate victories. So <laughs> this is, you know, whatever Emma does from here is going to be fueled by this moment and has a lot more emotional significance because of that. It's also nice to see, you know, like some a loss actually happen because um, we haven't seen anyone even be hinted at having died since Norman among the kids. Everyone else has made it out safely. Uh, you know, they made it through the entire forest to safety. They mad- managed to make it out of Gracefield House without suffering any losses except for, you know, Emma's ear and a little bit of Ray's. Um, but this is something where, you know, Emma said that she was going to protect someone and she failed. Um, so, and yeah, Promise Neverland is my favorite this week as well. And uh, Louvis is my MVP because he's an evil piece of shit and uh, has been established really well as a villain. So I wanted to give mine to Sanji because I think that moment is extremely significant and I feel like I should, but I can't not give it to Gang Orca because I laughed so hard when he showed up and just discipline. He just bitch slapped the three of them across the room essentially. So I'm giving it to Gang Orca. I'm sorry, Sanji. You were an amazing character this week, but Gang Orca is just uh, incredible. Mm. All right. And that is going to do it for this week of Weekly Manga Recap. We will see you guys all next year in 2018. Uh, first week is probably going to be our retrospective on 2017, and then we'll be back to normal stuff after that. Yeah. Uh, we would- By the way, guys, if you are following the Weekly Manga Recap Twitter, make sure you are, because periodically throughout the week, I'm going to be shooting up what our superlative rewards from this year are. And it's up to you guys to shoot over your suggestions. I've been keeping a track as we've gone through the year, stuff that comes up, but obviously there are going to be holes in it. So make sure you follow and you can send over your suggestions. So uh, stay tuned for that on our Twitter account. Mm-hmm. That is active in our podcast. And you can also follow your hosts independently at Y Roller of Time and at Rolo T. You can check out all of our other episodes on weeklymagrecap.podbean.com as well as on iTunes and on YouTube. And if you do it on, why are you dancing? I don't know. I feel like I have to do something in this spot. Right. If you do it on iTunes, be sure to give us a subscription, comment, rating that helps us to defeat the woodworkers and hopefully one day become the king of the hobby section. Be sure to send feedback, ask us questions, suggest future manga for us to read to Weekly Manga Recap at Yahoo.com. That's the best place for us to keep track of it. Do you have a suggestion for this time, Mr. Yes, Dean? I do. Yes. Uh, this suggestion actually comes from our title card artist. Ooh. Steve Mann, because every time I send him a suggestion, he's like, you guys seem to review a lot of action-heavy battle series. I'm going to send you something completely different. So our recommendation for the start of 2018, big year, is uh, Komi-san wa Komoyoshu desu. Uh, I don't know how that is anglicized, uh, but it's a series about the, a beautiful, admirable girl that no one can take their eyes off of, uh, but she's really bad at communicating with others. And it is a comedy romance series. So we're going to start off the year with something a little bit different, but something I think will be very fun. It, it, it comes as a recommendation. A komiyoshu desu. Gotcha. It is something our title card artist highly recommends, so we're going to check it out. Okay. 
And, uh, yes, if you, if you want to check out Steve Mann's stuff, you can check out his own Patreon, as well as, uh, he's got a DeviantArt, New York fanboy. He's, he's in a lot of different places where he, sh- where he shares, uh, the tile cards that he makes with us for free, and he also has some not safe for work stuff if you're, you know, you're into that. And thanks to Infamous Planet, too, you know, for stuff. You know. Yeah. Uh, lastly, guys, just a, a real quick heads up. So we are about to implement a new tier on Patreon which is going to be our ultimate tier. We are going to make it so that every week Nick and I will provide notes from when we are reading and discussing our chapters. So we'll basically provide those to you guys weekly at this tier. It would also allow you guys to get copies of any scripts for anything we take notes on and things of that nature, which is somewhat relevant because our Patreon bonus podcast in January is going to be another radio play. Uh, it was one we were mm-hmm. aiming for Christmas on, but unfortunately, with all the technical issues that kind of cropped up throughout this month, uh, we weren't able to get it out this month. But we're going yeah. to put it out in January, which is very... Chris's computer was on the verge of death, so... <laughs> and, and there's there's an episode that I still don't know how I'm going to get access to, just because of all the technical shit. So, uh, in January, though, that Patreon tier will be active, uh, and... If you subscribe to it, you'll be able to get all of our notes that we provide each month. We're still looking to decide, I guess, how we're going to do it in format, but it sounds like it will be written formats. It seems to be the the, the general consensus on that. But uh, you also get access to scripts. So uh, this bonus podcast that's going to be coming out in January, you'll be able to get access to that and see a little bit of how the writing process and everything like that came together. Mm-hmm. So if you're curious about that, it'll be the ultimate tier coming out very soon on patreon and we thank everybody for sticking with us this uh, december which has been very tumultuous on my end i apologize for that there have been some technical issues even in this episode as i tried to scramble to get our videos up but uh thank you guys for sticking with us and all of your support it means a lot and hopefully we can continue to uh, eliminate those issues and make this show the best it absolutely can be yeah that's gonna do it i think so we'll see you next year and uh yeah Goodbye, everybody. Oh, wait, do we want to throw out like a a Last Jedi kind of discussion? I don't, I haven't seen it yet. I'm I'm only going to see it tomorrow. Rose Tico sucks. Boom! Roasted! Goodbye, everybody.